So if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're obsessed with some sort of dream, right? Like uh, maybe you're a young uh, filmmaker. Maybe you want to be a director. Maybe you want to be a cinematographer. Maybe you want to be an action star, an actress, you know, or a like hot DJ. Like you want to be one of those guys that travels around with his thumb drive and flies on private jets and makes billions of dollars a year, right? Maybe you want to be a Kardashian. Maybe you want to be a reality TV star, right? We all have it. Every one of us has some sort of dream, some sort of aspiration, something that we saw as a kid uh, that we thought would be really cool. And we romanticize these dreams, right? We look up at these heroes that we have and say, their lives must be so fucking cool, right? This must be such a really great thing. Uh, and a lot of us pursue those dreams, right? And from early on, it's, it's a gift to have some sort of drive, to have some sort of purpose, to see a future in which uh, you can attain or you think you can attain and you go through the process of figuring it out. Now, in our industries, industries, I'll say, because it isn't just filmmaking, it's photography, it's acting, it's anything entertainment, which seems to be the U.S.'s main export these days, (laughs) is entertainment, right? So we all love it. We all want to do it. We're all brand makers at this point. We're all making stuff on Instagram, whether you're a 42-year-old director or you're a 16-year-old kid or even like a fucking six-year-old kid that's opening gifts and making millions right on on youtube so we're all we're all looking and we're all brand makers and we're all taste makers at this point and if you're lucky enough you figure that out early and you start chasing that dream and for me um i had a few dreams and i've talked about it on prior episodes i talked about wanting to be a comic book artist i talked about wanting to be a radio dj um, and then eventually settling into the film world, but it took me a while to get there. And, and through the process of chasing these dreams, I started to learn a bit more about them. And I've talked about that on other shows, and if you're a brand new listener, hey, if you are a brand new listener, thanks for showing up, which is super cool, because we get, we're getting more and more of you guys every day, which is great. Go back, listen to these other episodes, you'll hear me referencing a lot of stuff, um, or just stick around, man. It doesn't make a difference. We'll catch you up, okay? So if, uh, like, if you're like me, you go through the process of, of hunting for that dream, figuring out what that dream is, and sort of trying to figure out how to get into it, right? How do I become a director? Do I go to film school? Do I just go work on sets? Do I go work on crews? And for a lot of people, especially a lot of the guys that I started with uh, when I got into this business, you know, we all jump into this business because we all want to be directors, right? We all want to be cinematographers. We all want to be in that sexy position that's at the top. And really, the only reason why we know about these positions is the public is concerned is because usually those people are handpicked to do the PR, to sell films, to sell these things. So they, uh, the, part of that promotional campaign is turning these jobs into a very romantic position, very elevated, genius slash, you know, creative fucking giant position. Right? And a lot of that shit, I'm, what I try to do on this show is is convince you guys that a lot of that stuff's bullshit. <laughs> At the end of the day, they're just trying to make whatever they're doing seem super fucking cool because it's going to make you want to go see it. It's going to make you click on a link. It's going to make you go and look at it. But if you hang out with these people, and hopefully you've been coming to understand that 
on the show, as you hang out with these people, we're all the same, right? So once you cut past all that, all those sweet fucking filters on Instagram, once you cut past that PR jargon and all those hot keywords that have some sort of social context, once you get down to the human involved, they have anxiety, they're still trying to figure out if they're worth it, right? They're still trying to figure out what their personal style is. They're still trying to figure out all these different things. So I don't know. The question is, if you knew that this job is a job and that these people ultimately are the same as you and me, uh, would it still be interesting to you? So I, I can I can give you two different points of view here. I can give you the point of view of a cinematographer because I did that for a little while and I can give you a point of view as a director. Um, and one of the things I learned about both positions is that, like, let's take a cinematographer, for instance, right? All you do when you're looking at it is like, oh my God, this guy is like, or this woman is like this tastemaker. And she, they constantly have their eye on the eyepiece and they're looking at light and they're, they're just constantly referencing life and art and they're doing all this stuff. Yeah, okay, that's a, that's a big portion of the job, but that's mostly in the prep and sometimes when you're on set. There's so much regular day job shit that a cinematographer has to handle that will literally make you insane, right? I mean, you, you have to be obsessed with imagery to get past a lot of that stuff, like dealing with your line producer and your producer that doesn't really understand your vision and they're trying to cut the budget and you don't get the crew you need, you don't get all this stuff. There are lots of challenges, there's lots of interpersonal relationships. Like a lot of you may not even be social people. I don't like talking to people, I just wanna be an artist, I just wanna be around my camera. Well, good fucking luck when you decide you're gonna be on set and you're suddenly directing and dealing with 40 people, 50 people that work underneath you, right? So I'm just saying these things because I think a lot of folks, including myself, you get to a point where you start to see the job for what it is and you start to get past that romance, right? But you still love telling stories. You still love being on set. You still love being involved with film. I'm here to tell you that there are other jobs that are on film crews and on film sets that are just as important, just as great just as rewarding and sometimes they're a better fit right you get into it and you're like hey you know i really for some reason as a director i've really sort of gone towards sound and i really enjoy sound and i really enjoy building soundscapes and if you close your eyes i like to create worlds with audio right i like to take you on adventures with noises and noises that don't make any sense like i'm grabbing noises from here and there and building this sort of landscape like uh I love that shit. I almost fell into sound, honestly, because it's such a fucking cool thing. If I wasn't so focused on storytelling as a director, I think I potentially could have jumped into being a sound recorder or a post-sound engineer. Um, and those jobs are really great. And the thing that they have over me as a director is that it doesn't require as much of their life, like as much of their their time to do it. I'm not saying the job isn't difficult. The job is really fucking hard and very rewarding, but they don't have to be living that branded artist lifestyle. So if you're someone that doesn't want to be in the forefront, if you're someone that doesn't want to be dealing with your Instagram account, how you're branded and what's your story and how you're promoting yourself and all that kind of shit, uh, something like a position that is below the line is the way to go. You get to show up, you work for somebody else, you get to go home. That's the coolest part about it. It's the closest thing 
it's not a nine to five. It's probably like a, it's probably like a nine to nine job position, <laughs> but it's cool. It's fucking fun, right? And this, these job positions range the gamut in the film industry and the film industry is pretty fucking huge, right? It's a great industry to get into right now because there's so much content needed for all these streaming services, for all this other stuff. So it's a great business. It's a good job. Um, and in a, if you're talking about film crews, right? If you're talking about working on a crew, whether you're working for the camera department, you work for the lighting department, you're working for wardrobe, um, it's a wild adventure. You end up being booked for like long periods of time. You get brought onto these sets. You get brought together with like a team of like-minded individuals, oftentimes incredibly creative, oftentimes come from some really crazy stories and really crazy places. And you get all hunkered down to do this project together. Sometimes you travel with crews. So if you're someone that loves to travel and go from place to place and get fucking paid to do it, great gig, man. Really cool gig. And uh, I just want to shed some light on this stuff because whenever you listen to these podcasts, whenever you're looking at stuff online, everybody's always, how do I put this lightly? Everybody's always jacking off the guy at the top. You know what I mean? They're always shining light on the person that's that's in the forefront. It's like, oh, I want to be you know, the lead actor of this film, or I want to be the cinematographer for this movie, but that's not for everybody. And the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of us won't even get there, right? Because no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we work on these things, it's about luck and circumstances, right? So on the way, keep your eyes out. And I'm not trying to deter you from following your dreams. By no fucking means am I. I'm talking to the people who have come to realize that they're not made up for that kind of thing. That's not what they can do. That's not what they want to do anymore. But they still love this industry. And I want to just shed some light on the unsung, unsung heroes that are behind movies. And that's kind of what some of this show is about. And we've tackled it before. We've talked to like um, stunt coordinators. We've talked to stuntmen. We've talked to uh, wardrobe, makeup stylists. Um, and today's episode I'm super excited about because it clicks off two different categories that I love so much. And I've been taking a lot of the feedback from you guys and putting it into action on the show. Uh, so everybody's like, I love your fucking shows about lighting. Good news. Well, we did a couple episodes on lighting. And today's fucking super cool episode goes into what it's like to be on a big time film set. And what it's like to work on the lighting crew at a big time film set. Um, and uh, today's episode, our guest on the show is an amazing gaffer. He's been at it for over 28 years. I was talking to his best boy. They've done over together. The two of them have done over 21 feature films, right? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, Mike's show's not that big, right? It's probably some independent film gaffer. Hmm. Maybe a guy that's done a bunch of corporate pieces, couple corporate videos. Well, I'm sure that this our guest today has done all those things, but he's at that point in his career where he's at the top. He's at the top of his game, man. Uh, he's worked on films like, uh, I don't know, stupid little movies like, uh, what's the one with the cars and Vin Diesel? Oh, Fast and Furious, right? The Fast and Furious movies, right? He's worked on those. He actually finished the newest Fast and Furious movie. Um, let's see, what else has he done? Um, oh, there's that weird new movie coming out with the kids and uh, the car and they drive through the cornfields. Oh, the new Ghostbusters remake. Yeah, he did the new Ghostbusters remake. Um, yeah, 
you're going to look up this guy's credentials and go, holy shit. And the cool thing about him is that, you know, what's he pushing at this point? I'm going to out you on the show. I think he's pushing his like mid late 50s, right? And this guy's still connected with people. He loves working with people. He's got a great Instagram account. I think that's how I found him was through Instagram. Um, he's very accessible. So uh, he's, he's very humble with his stuff, which I think is fantastic. Um, and I uh, reached out to him to be on the show today. So with all that great buildup, our guest on the show is the amazing Mike Ambrose. Now, Mike uh, reached out to us and uh, wanted to be on the show, which is super cool. Um, and I figured we were just going to do, because he's busy. He's on fucking shoots, man. He's on sets. He's doing stuff. So I figured we would just do a dial-in and sort of record it over the internet. But he's like, look, I'm here in Los Angeles. I'm doing a shoot. Why don't you come to set? Which, sure. <laughs> Any opportunity that I can get to go see other people work, hell yeah, man. I'm going to go do it. Um, so he invited us onto the set of his new film. Which, uh, I don't think I could talk specifics yet, but it's a, it's a new Jennifer Garner movie. I know I can say that, but I'm not going to say what the title is. I'm not going to say what's going on with it because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. Um, but I think it's a, I think I could say it's a Netflix show. So it's going to be something on Netflix. It's either a Netflix movie or a Netflix show. Mm. Uh, but here's the cool thing. We get the call. Liam's hanging out with me. I'm like, dude, we got to go record a podcast remotely. Uh, we're going to Six Flags. <laughs> So we go to Six Flags. We go to Six Flags theme park. Uh, we get uh, access to the whole theme park. Plus, we get to go interview Mike in the back of his huge lighting truck. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been on sets. The bigger the sets are, the more gear you need, the bigger the vehicles that you need to transport these things. And then when you see a truck, it's like an 18-wheeler driving by. You imagine it's just sort of stacked with gear and it ratcheted down. The thing about film crews is they have the time. They have the time to do it right, and they're very meticulous. And this is one of the cleanest trucks I've ever been on in my life. Uh, amazing place with a little office in the front. So we actually got to go hang out with him in his office uh, and do this recording there. And then after the recording, got to walk around, meet everybody on the crew, uh, watch uh, Miss Garner do her, her performances, which was really cool to see. Um, and then uh, I got to uh, follow finish up our day, Liam's day as an intern uh, on rides, roller coaster rides <laughs> at Six Flags, right? It's It sounds like a cool day, right? It was. It was a fucking rad day. Uh, super happy to have been able to do it, and I'm very excited to introduce you guys to Mike. He's a, such a cool motherfucker. I really dig this guy. Um, but before we get into it, I want to say to everybody, thank you, as always, for following the show. Uh, you can, if you found us on Apple Podcasts, fuck yeah, look good. Leave us a, rate the show, leave us a comment. That definitely helps the show, helps the algorithm put us higher on the fucking list. So please do that. If you found us on Spotify, figure out how to do the same thing. Rate the show, comment about the show. And for the love of God, if you listen to this show, grab any of our graphics, steal them from anywhere, steal them from my Instagram page at Mike Petchy. Steal them from the podcast Instagram page, In Love With The Process Pod, that's In Love With The Process P-O-D, on Instagram, or steal them off of our website at inlovewiththeprocess.com. Now, here's the cool thing about our website. You go to our website, we're at like 65 episodes at this point, 66, whatever we're at. It's a lot of episodes, especially for you new listeners. You're coming on, 
and you're like, how do I start? Do I have to listen to these things in order? You don't. You don't have to listen to these things in order. You can cherry pick your way around. And on our website, we make it super easy to do so. I've broken them up into different categories. So if you are focused, if you're hyper-focused on listening to directors, click on the director section. You can listen to the podcast where I have the directors on and we talk shop. If you want to be learn more about film crews, like this episode, click on the film crew section and you'll get to learn about all the technicians and the jobs and how cool the jobs are and how some of the jobs suck. You know, it's really cool. It's a cool spot. We have a section for artists. We have a session... I think we have a section now for musicians at this point. So it's pretty cool. And one of the things that you can do to support this show, I'm going to be putting together some new stuff as we progress in the future. There's going to be a lot of great options to support the show. But for now, I don't expect you guys to reach into your pocket, man. So there's a bunch of different ways to do so. I'll tell you about our Audible trial stuff during the uh, advertisement read. But you can just go donate to the show at inlovewiththeprocess.com. Just give us a $10 donation. Why not, man? Goes to help pay for shit. Keeps us going. Keeps us afloat. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to think. Oh, the other thing that we're working on, because Liam's working on this right now. Uh, we're getting up, because I want you guys to communicate with us more. I want to have the ability to talk to you. And I've only been talking to you guys through Instagram. Instagram has been great. And I'm not fucking sponsored by Instagram. I just use Instagram because we're all on fucking Instagram. Okay? So... Instagram has been great, but it's it's kind of clunky, right? To be able to communicate back and forth and for you guys to get messages from me. And I try to do some live stuff on Instagram, but I feel like half the time it doesn't tell you when it's on. Hey, dude, I don't know. Half the time I feel like they want me to pay for advertisements for you guys to even know what's happening. It just seems really fucking loaded and shady. So what we're doing is uh, we're going to go we're gonna go to the, to the source of uh, communicating with nerds which is Reddit. We're going to be on Reddit. We're going to have our own uh, Reddit group, which we have right now. What's the Reddit group? Do we know what it is? Subreddit. Oh, it's called the subreddit. <laughs> What's the subreddit called, Liam? R slash in love with the process. Okay. You know, one of the benefits of having uh, such a excited and young assistant on the show is you just make me feel fucking old. I don't think I've ever felt this fucking old. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're we got this new group on Reddit. Uh, we're going to be uh, putting up all sorts of stuff um, that's in relation to the episodes. You'll be able to do that. But more importantly, you're going to be able to communicate with us. Um, and Liam's going to be running it. Um, what do we have any plans for anything that we want to talk about right now? Yeah. Why not? <clears throat> yeah. So on Wednesdays. Um, after the, uh, the new episode is up, we're going to have a weekly discussion thread up there. So if you want to talk about it, mm-hmm. share some ideas, ask some questions and that, we'll be able to do that. And then uh, we're thinking about a uh, Thursday suggestion thread. And uh, that's where you can throw out ideas of who you might want to come on. Basically what they're doing on Instagram. But Yeah. Okay. So a lot of you guys have been hitting me up on Instagram with questions. And I really appreciate it. You'll ask me questions on... Uh, on uh, on like how to progress in your career and all that kind of stuff, I would highly suggest redirect you towards the subreddit that we have set up. Uh, we'll put a link uh, below this episode, and we'll I'll also make sure there's a link on the actual official page on the, the process.com. Um, but go there, 
send us stuff, start conversations, start stuff, because we're literally going to start uh, reading it on the show. and we'll, we'll tackle it on the show. So if you want your voice heard, if you think you have a valid question that uh, everybody should hear and we should talk about, let's do it, man. I'm trying to get this community together. I want to bring you guys all in. I want to bring you guys into my director's inner circle, man. I want you guys all to be a part of it. Um, and that's been a big part of the show is uh, I enjoy meeting new folks and I enjoy communicating with you guys. And you're like, well, Mike, why the fuck do you do this? You're a busy guy. You're supposed to be doing movies and shit. You're right. I am. I'm a busy motherfucker. And I'm trying to do everything at the same time. That's been, that is my weakness, folks. That's what I do wrong, <laughs> is that I get so excited about all these little projects, and so I spread myself really fucking thin. Um, but what I'm trying to do, because I love this, I have the downtime in between the development time that it takes these movies to get going. Right now, right on the right on the cusp of making one of these films, I have a little bit of time to do this. So let's set it up. Let's set up the system with this. Start communicating with me. Go to the subreddit. We'll have the link below. Um, okay. That's enough uh, fucking promoting. Uh, let's get into the show. Um, you know the deal. Grab those noise-canceling headphones. Buy yourself a weekend pass to Six Flags. Mm. Strap yourself into a roller coaster like we did. Sit back, throw up all over yourself, and enjoy the brand new episode of Love of the Process. All right, so hey, Mike, thanks for being on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. We're super pumped. We're actually here at uh, Six Flags in the back of your truck, which is super cool. Uh, And being a a kid that loves film sets, has been working with lighting teams and lighting crews all the time, I... I love this shit, man. It's like it's almost like having all your toys in the back of a truck, and then you have like this cool little. It's almost like a, a clubhouse in the front of the place. So it's it is. pretty awesome. It's, it's man. like a it's like a toy box for filmmakers. <laughs> Super cool. So let's start. Uh, get you introduced to the audience here, right? So you've been a gaffer for how long now? Well, I have been a union gaffer for about 22 years. There's probably five or seven years of dabbling in the non-union and independent world before that. And I started a whole, I had a whole other 10-year career before that doing uh, lighting direction, lighting design, production management, theater, basically theater-based. Yeah. And uh, that it was like a whole other little career before I met my film family and and dove into cinema full time why lights man why'd you pick lights to start uh, it's a great story actually i like to tell um i think it's pretty neat i'm grateful that i had a direction early on in life and i can remember getting those little kodak Viewmasters. Mm. you have the little 3d Viewmaster, you would look uh-huh. through and look at the dinosaurs or whatever, and it was like cool. And then I think for Christmas once I got a projector, 
version of it. Oh, and cool. I could set up in my room like the projector and I drag the dining room chairs in and invite the family, pop some popcorn, black out the windows and set up a little theater in my room. I don't know. I was like seven years old or something. And I put it up on the upper bunk bed and like project it on the wall and invite everybody in. And I'd show my dinosaur Viewmaster slides to the family as a presentation. <laughs> fifth and sixth grade I started I realized I could get out of class early if I was the guy who ran the projector on rainy days at school oh, smart. and so I would like be the guy oh, it's a rainy day I got to go set up the projectors for uh for recess and so I get out of class and I go set up the projectors in those days we ran 16 millimeter projectors uh, at lunchtime uh -huh. uh, for rainy days uh, that, that so I became like kind of the AV nerd in fifth and sixth grade Seventh grade came around. There was a show I was in, you know, got involved, was hanging lights and, and in the show, too. There was a point where I thought I wanted to be an actor. <laughs> I think uh, I played a couple of roles in high school theater. But high school theater is really where it started to turn around. And my first class of ninth grade was in the theater. And my last class of my senior year was in that theater. And early on, I went into the director's office in my freshman year and I saw up on his bookshelf uh, a dusty copy of something that said lighting design. I asked him, I said, what is that that book you got up there? It looks like nobody's opened it in a while. He, goes, he took it down, handed it to me and dusted it off. And I was like, wow, thank you. Can I take this home? And please do. Nobody's asked about it ever. Yeah. So uh, I dusted it off. I looked in, I opened it up. And in the first page, it said lighting design there are no rules wow. and i was right then i was captivated i'm like what is this <laughs> and i started reading terms like ellipsoidal reflector spotlight and parabolic illuminized reflector you know i'm like wow i can like throw these terms out and nobody will know what the fuck i'm talking about right <laughs> so i'm like all right i got a niche so uh i ran with it i did lighting design in theater uh in in high school i started a lighting company when i was 16 wow. i actually realized i could design lighting and do lighting and make money at it at a very young age. Wow. And I just like one thing led to another. Hell yeah, man. That's awesome. And then, so a lot of dudes that I've met in the industry come from two different places. Some guys that are gaffers end up becoming real gearheads and they come really sort of nerdy about it. And other gaffers are very sort of creative as far as like lighting design and color palettes and all that kind of stuff. Like, where do you think you fall in the game? That's a great question. Um, I like being a gaffer because I get to bridge this gap between the technical side and the creative side. You know, we have a lot of technology these days. I get to, you know, nerd out on that a little bit and get into it. But the creative side's always been important to me because I did start in theater as a, as a lighting designer. And, mm -hmm. I, and that, that I liked coming up with the color palette and coming up with the angle of light and how that would help tell the story working with directors and uh in in the live world or or working with mu musicians and rock bands and uh creating you know, the light show for 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 concerts was extremely exciting and it was very creative when i changed over into film i realized quickly that the gaffer didn't necessarily have all that creative control that the cinematographer was the lighting designer. And I was yeah. a little dismayed. I was like, oh man, I wanted to be a lighting designer. 
But I found that I could still kind of balance this whole technical side with the creative side. And I found that if I teamed up with a cinematographer that appreciated my input and collaboration, that I could still satisfy that creative desire in me yeah. to, to work with light in that way. So I kind of think of myself as like somebody that is right in the middle of that. I enjoy the creative side, uh, that inspires me and I get excited about uh, photography and lighting in photography and cinematography, telling the story through light and imagery. But I'm also, you know, keeping up on the latest technology mm -hmm. and what kind of equipment can make our jobs easier and more efficient. Mm -hmm. uh, that part excites me as well. Yeah, I mean, I found, because I started uh, my career as a photographer and cinematographer, so I was doing that for a while. And, you know indie cinematographer sure. you know so <clears throat> i came at it from a photographer's standpoint and i came at it from an artist's standpoint and then i had to learn about the gear i had to learn about all that stuff and thankfully before i got into this business i was in a lot i was on a lot of like crew jobs so i used to be an airplane mechanic i was like a house painter so i know the loyalty of teams and sort of how to work with teams and how to get what you need out of folks uh, when you're in stressful situations. So I relied heavily on the gaffers that I met and these these folks because you don't... I, I think a lot of cinematographers are the same way where depending upon how you come up. Like if you come up for to your chain where you're like, hey, I'm going to be a cinematographer and I've been through the electric to gaffer to then making that transition, then you have all this background. But a lot of like artists, quote-unquote yeah. artists, don't have this side... So they really rely heavily on that on the gaffer, and uh, I've seen like uh, amazing cinematographers that get all the fucking credit for for this stuff. But in the reality, of the scenario, it's the gaffer that's coming through and and understanding the quality of light and understanding what kind of light comes off the units, understanding power and distribution of power and like how to be smart with all these different things. So I, it's one of those unsung positions that don't doesn't get a lot of credit and i know for a fact being friends with really great cinematographers they're like i get my gaffer and i get my gaffer you know what i mean it's, it's like me as a director with the cinematographer it's sure. like this is my this is my dude this is my wife <laughs> i often say i mean and this goes for lots of jobs in, in movie production and theater is that if you didn't notice me I did my job. That's <laughs> yeah. true, you know, and it, it's not, it's, you don't go into, you know, wanting to be a gaffer or key grip um, or camera assistant because you ever think about standing up there on that stage getting an Oscar in your hand or any golden statue for that matter. Right. You, you do it because you love being part of the process of being part of filmmaking and telling a story. Uh, through your craft and your part of it and your collaboration and your input. And that's, that's what drives us. Well, and then we were talking right before we started rolling um, about how strange the life is and how like surreal being on a film crew, especially at your level, being on a film crew that is a larger budget kind of thing where you literally take over fucking towns when you go into spaces. And so um, is that, is that the fun for you? Is that no, it's, it's a lot of fun. And you know, we get to see so many things that you just wouldn't see if you were a tourist or just driving through a town or we get to go places that just a lot of people just don't get to see. You get to see a perspective 
on things. It's it's way beyond the frame and the story of what you see at the movie theater. It's, you know, going to a small town and living there for a few weeks and like interacting with the people and getting to know the people. You got to be like the kind of person that loves being out there meeting people in the world and 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 having these experiences you know whether it's in uh, cuba or down in brazil or you know, up in canada we were recently doing uh ghostbusters afterlife which will be coming out this oh summer. the new one ivan reitman's son's new ghostbusters yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. what an experience that was i mean we're doing like legacy filmmaking here you know we're, we're there's some pretty big shoes to fill mm-hmm. and uh we're up in in canada shooting in the calgary area because it's playing for the midwest the story i can't give sure. really anything away at this point but just know that uh i think it's going to be awesome and oh is, is it going to be good go, i'm nervous uh, about it no it's going to be it's going to it's going to be really good and oh, cool. uh it's uh i'm the trailer came out a couple of weeks ago and I, you know, check that out and take a look. It kind of gives you a feel for what it, what it is and what it's going to be about. And there's some definite big surprises that are going to happen in there that are going to really, uh, uh, excite the oh, okay. old, right. uh, Ghostbuster, uh, fans. And there's some, uh, new aspects to it that, uh, that are wonderful and awesome and it's going to tie it all together and it's a, it's a really fun ride and jason reitman always said that he didn't want to touch his dad's work mm-hmm. he's you know done a lot of other movies that are absolutely not ghostbusters <laughs> and he admittedly was like hey man i don't want to go down that road and but i think that an opportunity and some family discussions came up and that he was the right guy to do that and to 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 handle that in the right way and the script they came up with is awesome i can't wait for you to see it but anyway oh, we're excited. talking about the locations yeah, yeah. we're up there like in canada in a small town in the in the prairies of canada that hardly any that a lot of people go to calgary to shoot and they go up to banff and go up to the mountains and shoot the rockies or shoot the city right but to go out the other way and just outside of Calgary and go to like a small town of, you know, three or 4,000 people and move in there with, you know, the whole, uh, circus of yeah, cause studio it, movie production. There's like, like hundreds of people on the crew. Hundreds of dude. people coming in yeah, and, yeah. you know, setting up base camps and location scouts in advance. It gets kind of everybody excited. And, you know, we had people, and I guess because it's Ghostbusters too, it's not like, you know, oh, you know, we're making some title that you've never heard of. Everybody's heard of Ghostbusters. So sure. they're very excited. And there was people lined up. We had one where we, we had set up some, um, you know, duvetine drapes to black out the inside where we're shooting because it's supposed to be night and we didn't want to look out. So we're inside. So if you're outside and you want to observe filmmaking, (laughs) all you saw was black curtains around a building. And it was that way all day, all day long. And and we get there in the morning and there was all the, the townspeople hanging out in chairs with signs and ghostbuster stuff and <laughs> and they're hanging out and they're like all they're doing is looking at a building that's surrounded by black material <laughs> and then you come out at lunchtime they're still there and they were hoping for just like a glimpse of somebody pulling up in a like you know sure. a, 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 an suv you know one of the one of the actors that they might know and 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 they would literally be walking outside for 30 seconds between the car and into the into the <laughs> draped you know and it's like they were su- such time. So I would take time and walk across the street 
and go hang out with these people. And, yeah. and it was like so fun to like interact with, you know, somebody I would never interact with somebody who lives in the prairies of Canada, right. you know, and like just start chatting with them. They were so thrilled. It's like, wow, you know, a filmmaker, I'm not guys. I'm just a, I'm a person just like you, you know, yeah, we're just yeah, yeah. hanging out and I'm just, you know, I see you guys are hanging out here and, you know, and they'd ask some questions about what we're doing. I tell them what I could. And it's just nice to interact with people and, and connect with people not, you know, all over the world. What yeah. a great, what a great benefit besides being, you know, one of the guys that gets to make movies. I mean, and I think there's this whole mysticism around being a director and around being a filmmaker. And then of course, anybody that goes to film school is like, I'm going to be a director or I'm going to sure. be the guy at the top. Um, but I, I think a lot of people don't realize uh, how interesting this industry is because not everybody ends up being a director and, and whether or not you're, you have the skills to be a director. Sometimes you just get into the position. You're like, I don't want to fucking do that. Like that's yeah. a, that's a nightmare job, yeah, exactly. you know, but I still love movies and I still love sets. And sure. um, I've like, I've, I talked to you a bit about before I've spent time on all, all these different crew positions as a director, because I want to learn about it. Like I want to know if I'm telling if I turn to them and go, it would have been great if the lights were off to the side there. And it's like, well, those are on two different lifts outside. So it's going to take us like an hour and a half just to move those. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right. So like, you know, those things instead of being that, that asshole that's on set, it's just like, why don't we just flip sides? You know? So I wanted to learn that from a crew perspective, but the thing that I learned uh, from there is that there's this camaraderie and there's this like family element and almost like this carnival, circus element that happens that I'm whenever I direct a movie I'm often jealous of the people that are in that camaraderie because we're so removed sure. from that and so I'll be on the same set and I'll be talking to people afterwards and they'll tell me about all these adventures that have happened on that set I have no idea it's interesting right? it's, it's fascinating and I think it's, it's like, cool that you bring that up too because that camaraderie that we have of course here in Hollywood, I don't know, there's hundreds of thousands of sure. IATSE filmmakers that live and work in the Los Angeles area. And, you know, we all run into each other from time to time and 100,000 is a lot. But, you know, in our own departments and what we do, we've run into the same people a lot over the years. And um, that's cool. But what's interesting is you travel outside of our Hollywood area and you start to go shoot in other places whether it be another state or mm -hmm. whether it be another country or and maybe even another country where they don't speak your language and you're working through um either parallel keys or uh um uh, translators that are helping us to, to when you say parallel out. keys you mean yeah. someone that's local doing a gaffing position and exactly. you guys are working together so sometimes when we go somewhere they'll hire a local gaffer that has the local crew but because I'm attached to the studio and the cinematographer. I go still as the gaffer. And then there's another gaffer that kind of handles the local crew. Got it. It's especially important in other countries where styles are different and language barriers. Yeah. And on. plus they have the connection. They're teams of people that work together all the time. So it's an advantage to hire these, these teams and then, and then basically I get to just talk to the cinematographer, figure out what we're doing lighting wise, talk to my 
uh, local gaffer and help direct and guide the lighting from that perspective. But what's great is that you go into these foreign environments and in very short time, you realize that we're all speaking the language of film and storytelling through film. Yeah. And that same camaraderie that we enjoy and know in our familiar environment is repeated in those foreign environments and crosses all these cultural boundaries and, and language barriers and everything else. The next thing you know, you know, you're coming in every day and you're hugging each other and it's like, <laughs> yeah, man, right on. You barely know how to really say anything to each other, but you're, you're meeting on this really cool common ground which is filmmaking oh wow man yeah it, it, it makes a lot of sense and i've been lucky enough to, to to feel that and fall in love with it and um when i put together my little movies and i start to do stuff um for me it's like a it's a it's almost like doing a barbecue it's like you just like how do i come up with a recipe that i can bring the family back together with yeah. and we can have a good time and I think I've talked about it on the show before, but I was really fortunate young in my career um, to meet the Farley brothers, the guys mm. that did like something about Mary and all that. And at one point in time, one of their producers was going to produce something of mine. So I was very fortunate to get access to their sets. And uh, Peter was such a gentleman, like such an amazing guy. And it's a difficult thing. And I've said it on the show multiple times. Um, directors are oftentimes intimidated by other directors. So as a director, you don't often get to go on someone else's set. It's just right. one, it's part of the thing. Um, but uh, Peter was so amazing. He brought me on set and I got to hang out, put on headsets and hang out with his crew. But what I learned the most from his stuff, uh, regardless of whether or not his movies I was a fan of, I loved the way he ran his sets. And I loved the way uh, he interacted with his family. And it was essentially sure. his family. And he'd turn to the boom op and be like, what do you think of that performance? Right. You know, like he had this relationship with these guys. How great it is to be able to come in and observe how somebody else does it. Oh you my know, it's God, not dude. just for directors. Same for gaffers. There's no two ga you know, rarely oh, you am I on set, yeah. a set and see a gaffer doing his job or does a key grip get to see how another key grip does it? So, you know, we kind of we kind of just go at it, you know with making up our own styles we go and we kind of hear it you learn and you, you but there's nobody that says this is how you do that job it used to drive me crazy about like american cinematographer right and so i'd pick up american cinematographer and be like oh shit they're doing a whole piece on this movie that i really love let's learn about how they do it and it's just like a pr piece and you're just like oh yeah and i used a couple of these lights and i used some of this stuff and i'm like yeah but how did you do it you know how did you make that sequence work and i think we're getting a little bit more of that now but even behind the scenes stuff it's all promotional stuff yeah, yeah. and so it's it's always difficult and i think we should transition into something like that because looking at your career looking at your catalog of stuff you've done a lot of action unit stuff right yeah. And yeah. you've also done a lot of like main unit stuff. What is the difference between action and main unit primarily? Um, the, yeah, the difference is a huge difference. And I've been incredibly fortunate to, as my second unit and action unit experience has been on some really big movies. Yeah, like, like list off some of the films. That uh, you've well, it started uh, with uh, cinematographer Igor Meglich who's a friend of mine, uh, who I think the last time we checked, he's like the biggest box office second unit <laughs> DP by box office dollars. 
wow. of by far than any other cinematographer as far as I know, as far as we know. So, um, I was fortunate enough to have met him and he invited me to come and, and gaff on the first one I did with him was, uh, Captain Marvel, uh, or, uh, no, it wasn't Captain, it was, uh, um, Captain, Captain America, Winter Soldier. Oh, Winter Soldier. Yeah. So that was the first Marvel thing that I was invited to come and do, uh, with him and do the action unit. And, I had a, I have a friend, a key grip friend named Peter Crimes, who has been with him for a while mm -hmm. and had been already doing uh, Fast and Furious and some uh, some of those other uh, action things that that Igor was involved with, and uh, you know, so I had heard about what it's like on those things, but I, it's just there's nothing really that prepares you for that size and scope of filmmaking, really, um, and. So I jumped in with them and, you know, when you, I mean, if you, I've done small, you know, you can, there's big movies on my resume, but I done tons of small independent movies, things under a million dollars, million dollar budgets, $5 million budgets, mm -hmm. uh, tier movies, you know, all that kind of stuff. I've, I've, uh, I've, I've experienced that too. And, you know, where there's like, maybe 10 people on a set sometimes <laughs> sure. up to like, you know, maybe 25 or 50 people on a set. These second units, these action units had call sheets with over 150 people on the call. Oh sheet. my God. And they're running for, you know, 30 days, 45 days of action unit photography built into the budget for the movie. Wow. So, you know, there's like 72, 60 or 60 to 90 days of first unit. Then there's another 30 or 40 days of second unit with 150 people, stunt guys, you know, big stunt teams, yeah. drivers, vehicles, special effects, pyrotechnics. Every day you went to work and it was like, all right, what are we going to blow up? What are we going to like? <laughs> what kind of crazy stunt are we going to see today? I was blown away. I was like, this is amazing. This is really fun. It seems like the more interesting crew to be on is second unit. And a lot of people felt that way. But, you know, honestly, like I still being kind of from that theater, lighting designer, storytelling uh, kind of person. Yeah. I missed kind of being in the forefront and and really working with the narrative and talent and creating the story, creating the vibe, creating that that aesthetic yeah. with the, with the cinematographer. And, and, and I miss that with the, with, you know, yeah, we would do light up for fast and furious. Uh, we would light up, you know, 10 blocks of downtown Atlanta, you know, for some big chase sequences, really awesome in the, in the preparation and the design and the planning. We're going to use these rooftops and we're going to need 15 condors. We're going to need, you know, 25 generators. We're going to need like Jesus. 50 guys on the crew. And I need my, you know, we need like 50 guys on the rigging crew. We need another 50 guys to run it. So there's like a hundred electricians. And it's like an know, army at that. It's point. an army, you know, and it's crazy. And that, the planning of that, I really liked. I enjoyed that in the design aspect. Once you got there, and once we focused it and it was all lit and on. <laughs> that now a car, what? Then a car just drives through it, right? And, and and it takes hours. We're setting up eight, ten cameras at a time and it takes hours and the lighting's done. You know, now it's 3 a.m. 
Yeah. We're in Atlanta. It's 27 degrees out. They call it a hot Atlanta, but in the wintertime, it's cold. Yeah. And then the wind's blowing, and then it starts raining. And I'm, and we're standing at 3 in the morning wondering, why. what are we doing? You know, nothing's happening. You know, you know as a director, sometimes sure. it's just like it feels like nothing's happening. What are we waiting sure. for? Sure. And a scissor lift is on turtle mode, cruising down the middle of Peachtree Boulevard. And uh, and that's what we're waiting for. And he's going up and then his lift goes up. And I go, what is that guy doing? Why aren't we shooting? And he's changing, he's changing the street sign from Peachtree to Spring Street. Because we're supposed to pretend that we're in downtown Los Angeles at 3 a.m. in 27 degree weather in Atlanta while it's raining. So I quickly looked up to what the weather was like in Los Angeles. It's like, oh, it's like 65 degrees and at 3 a.m. It's beautiful and it's been dry for months. I'm like, why are we not shooting this in L.A.? In Los of course, Angeles. that's a whole other thing about incentives and why oh, we don't yeah. shoot in Los Angeles. But, you know, working in first unit, I enjoy the storytelling process. I like being right up front. Of course, yeah. it's amazing to have both experiences yeah, yeah um and i'm sure i'll do more action units with igor uh down the road um but it's know. fascinating it's two different mentalities because like first unit you're kind of developing everything and then you give a laundry list to second unit at that point yeah right where it's yeah. just like i need you to get a cutaway of this I need this and we need this sort of action stuff and you're i think a lot of directors end up handing a you know, and some directors don't even want, like, I'd be like, ah, like you're handing off right. stuff. That, I think, I, that, I think Quentin is one of the guys is like, he doesn't want anybody touching his second unit. You know, he wants, <laughs> yeah. he wants control over everything. And there's some directors that are like that. They don't want to have a second well, unit. Well, I do for, 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 for the purpose of like, it's going to be a lot of fun to see that car flip around sure. and roll around. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I want to be there. <laughs> and there's still creative aspects to how that shot that, yeah. you know, have the creative decisions that have to be made. And then a lot of times the director wants to be there. Some of these movies are just too big, and there's yeah. no way to do that. Yeah, because you know? of the scheduling and the time and everything. When we did Fast and Furious 8, we had a unit in a second unit, action unit, mm -hmm. up in Iceland doing a whole series of stuff on an ice lake. Up oh, there. right. That was the one where the submarine comes underneath. Submarine comes yeah, up yeah, and amazing explosions. They were on an ice lake for like three months. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm in Cuba, right? So you got this movie that's like shooting in Cuba and Iceland at the same time. And then we came back to Atlanta and then we got to come and shoot in L.A. And, you know, it's like it's all over the place. And, you know, that's a lot of fun. Those movies are so big. Yeah. There's no way that, you know, it would be it would take a year to make the movie if you didn't have a, an action unit that was separate. So here's a here's a question for you. What do you think is more difficult this might be a simple answer, but what do you think is more difficult to light? Is it more difficult to light a car flipping sequence or is it more difficult to light a scene where you have like Arnold and like every big star on the screen at the same time? Like which one do you think is a more difficult shot to light? I, I mean, the more challenging lighting is always the more actors that are in the shot. Right. You know, if you're doing still photography, it's one direction. Everybody's looking the same way. Nobody moves. Nobody gets hurt. You put up a light. You you create it, whatever the look is. In motion picture, you have a situation. It's all good. There we go. Turn my radio down. So, um, In motion picture, um, 
you know, if you have five people in a, in a scene yep. and they're coming and going, let's say it's around just something simple, like it's in a kitchen, you know, and, the, you know, dad comes down the stairs and comes into the kitchen. Mom's cooking over here. The kids come running in. Then somebody runs out the back and then they come back Then there's a conversation over here. Then it transitions over to the refrigerator and whatever, you know, and you look at they put the marks down on the floor after rehearsal and you look down and you go, holy shit, how are we going to light this? Right. I mean, right. it's like, and the director has all these great ideas about how this is great and telling the story and we're going to get all this movement all covered in one, you know, thing. And we'll have this scene done by lunchtime. And I'm like looking at the cinematographer going, holy moly, man, really? I mean, yeah, where do I put the lights? Where do we put the lights? There's nowhere left. I mean, you can do it the old style, you know, where they just hung everything up from above, but that looks like studio lighting. We don't like to do that anymore. We want it to look more organic, more real, like the lights coming from real sources and sure. and keep it natural, but yet soft and beautiful. And so that, you know, the uh, the medium and close-up shots all look good and everybody's in their best light at all times. And yeah. that's the challenge. So that that's more challenging. You know, it, it's a different kind of challenge when you're lighting a car flipping, you know, it's like what's the whole environment. The environment becomes a much bigger scene. So it's just the logistics get larger. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that as far as finessing lighting, it's certainly with, with actors on set trying to figure out blocking and, and you know, what, what's going to work. And you got to make sure, you know, depending upon the movie, you got to make sure the actors look good. You got to make sure the quality of light looks good on them, which and is interesting. The pressure's on, like a lot of times it's like now with, directors and actors it's i think that we used to say well you need to stand here and this is what's going to look good now it's kind of like you know let them do whatever they want <laughs> and you make them look good <laughs> and and so yeah I, I i i enjoy that challenge it's like yeah let's bring you know once in a while you know sometimes something happens and it's it's not really working and we you know and everybody's always you know everybody wants it to look good so you sure. know if you say Hey, you know, if you if we don't really look in that direction or if we kind of, you know, move this blocking to this, sure. you know, does that, you know, you know, can we, you know, and, and people are very, you know, helpful. I think actors are helpful. Directors are helpful, you know, when they realize that it's really going to affect the way that it looks. Well, and the thing that's fascinating, too, is that early on in my career when I was younger, um, you're working. It seemed like it seemed like scenes needed more tiny units and so you'd have the camera in a bunch of tiny units and a bunch of stands and you'd be trying to like make these tiny units work for individuals yeah and then you get on larger sets and it seems like they just get wider and they get further back so then you start to have larger hmis outside of windows and you start yeah. to have rigging and stuff because then you have that light consistency and that freedom to move within that space um, do, are you mostly working on like with larger units at this point? And then what do you just have small units to just supplement when you get in for close-ups? or how do you, like well, if you were to light like an interior scene, how would you, how would you do that? Well, um, and of course everyone's, everyone's a little different. Sure. Um, I had the great fortune to have been asked to be the gaffer on the TV series, uh, Mad Men. Oh, wow. And I did season one through six and I didn't do season seven cause I had to leave early from six to go do that big Marvel movie we talked about earlier. And so that was an opportunity and I liked doing feature films. So I, I left Mad Men, but Mad Men was a, one was the kind of movie that was, it's in this or the TV show that was in the sixties. And we were in environments where we had to use a lot more, you know, a lot smaller fixtures and get them into tight places and make it work. Yet we always wanted to keep it soft and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And also 
in that type of environment, a lot of times they were in fluorescent lighting. So, you know, they're in the office and it's fluorescent lit. How do you make that look interesting and model that? Yet still have the feel that it's in an office environment that's right, that fluorescent lit, mm-hmm. but keep a, like a, a modeling and a beauty to it, you know? And so it really depends on, you know, where we, where we are. Um, using those smaller units is, you know, if you go to a small unit, it's a smaller surface of light. And so the, the smaller the surface of light, the harder the light is. Everybody likes soft light. You know, soft light is more beautiful. It's um, more pleasing. It's nice to model it and have soft shadows kind of wrap around in the nice ways. And, you know, it's just, it's where we've gone, you know. So soft light requires bigger source, right. so a bigger surface. So we do, we tend to move the lights back, go to bigger lights, make as big of a source as we can so that, that it's soft, yet still controllable. Mm-hmm. So it, again, depends on the environment. But rarely do we ever take like a tiny little point source and right. point that at somebody's face. It's like <laughs> we virtually don't do that anymore. Right. It's amazing to look back at old cinematography from the 40s and 50s. Movies like Casablanca, which I think is one of the most beautifully shot black and white movies ever gorgeous and you look at that and you can see a hard nose shadow on that i mean they had a point source light small unit and they were just masters at you know carving that light and modeling that light and they used all and they 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 made it beautiful and it was all layering and black and white and you know incredible stuff so it can be done but our aesthetic these days in modern filmmaking we don't we don't really do that anymore. Yeah, it's crazy because everybody seems to be more focused on sort of the natural vibe and the. I, I've always been. Luckily, I work in the the horror genre, so I can have some room to yeah. play in that. I've always been a noir guy, and I've always loved like hard contrasts and, and sure. that kind of thing. Um, um, but there's, I remember not even thinking about. I, I was on a comedy set and. I was looking at how they were lighting the comedy set. It was for a big movie. I forget what it was. Um, and they just had condors, like second or third floor, condors everywhere and just large HMI units out, outside these windows. They had a, a ton of stuff. And I'm like, what is, the, what is the fucking scene? Like, what are you guys shooting? And it was like, oh, there's a conversation piece with people in the space. And I was talking to one of the lighting techs and he's like, oh, yeah, we just, they're going to go anywhere. So, like, we just, I have all this stuff up because uh, I, who knows what we're going to shoot? We're going to be 360 in that space. And when we get into close ups, I'll go in there and play with it. But yeah. especially in comedies, like where they're improving and stuff like yeah. that. And you just have to give them a big, wide area to just do what they do. Yeah, yeah. But then you look at stuff like, you know, like The Matrix or, or, or um, you know, uh, Blade Runner 2049. That movie was just outstanding yeah. and and they just spend that time crafting those hard like contrasty beautiful lights roger deakins to be uh commended there on oh that. my god yeah. that's amazing i mean he's of course roger deakins is the man of <laughs> course deserves the oscar for of, that. of course of course for that and his entire body of work Okay, guys, it's time to do it. It's time to take that break. Um, I hope you guys have been enjoying this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. Um, and I'm going to try to keep it as fast as possible so we can get right back into it. But do not fast forward to these reads. Here's why. 
I need sponsors to keep the show running. The best way to let the sponsors know that you listen to the show is by clicking the links that are underneath this episode. If you click those links, they're traceable, they're trackable. The sponsors will know that people that listen to the show are going to their websites and they will say, Mike, we love being on your show because everybody comes and checks out our gear. And here's the thing. I'm not sending you to companies that I don't believe in. I'm not sending you to places that have schlocky, shitty stuff. I'm sending you to places that I use. Uh, and a lot of you are asking me these questions all the fucking time. What cameras do you use? What editing systems do you use? What do you use? You guys are so fucking obsessed with gear. So obsessed with gear. So, in the meantime, uh, let's go into it. Let me, let's talk about, let's talk about the good dudes. Let's talk about the guys that have been with me for years now. Uh, the guys that I think I'm going to be doing a new project with. <laughs> That's right. Might be doing something cool and new with these guys. The boys over at Puget Systems. If you're a filmmaker, independent filmmaker, if you're a photographer, if you're a video editor, maybe you work in the industry, maybe you run a post-production facility. There's a lot of you guys out there. And you're hitting that point where the new big boy computer is coming out right now, right? The super expensive, top of the line, quote unquote, industry machine is showing up. And you look at the three options that they give you or whatever the fuck it is, however they categorize it. And you're like, God damn it, I'm going to have to take out a huge fucking loan for this. And how am I ever going to pay off these machines, right? And if you're just like me, if you're an artist, right? Essentially, if you're an artist that has to make money being an artist, you want to keep your overhead down. You want to keep your overhead fucking low, man. You want to get gear that doesn't cost you a ton of money. You want to get gear that when you do spend that money, you're spending that money in the right place. Like, I'm looking for pieces of equipment right now to get this show videotaped. And it's a hard task because everybody wants to charge you a ton of money. And you're looking at it going, what am I paying for? Am I paying for the unboxing experience? Am I paying to be a part of your cult? I want to be part of your cult. I want to define this. Can I get a free fucking t-shirt and wear your logo and then define myself by your fucking cult? No, that's not what these guys do. PugetSystems.com. Puget Systems builds PCs for the working man and woman. They build PCs for people that are artists that expect their tools to do what they tell them to do. They're not controlled by their tools. They're not being manipulated by their tools. They want to make sure that they're building you machines that work flawlessly for you based upon your budget man wow talk about a crazy notion how much money do you have how much money do you want to spend on a machine and how can we take that money and make sure that you're getting the most from the hardware <sighs> wow that's completely the opposite way that most people are selling things these days look at this super sexy sleek little fucking thing that's going to end up floating in the fucking sea outside of china in five years hmm Ranting and raving. That's what I do on this show. Back to the point. Go to PugetSystems.com. Uh, there you can pick out a uh, baseline package uh, based upon the software you use, right? So like if you use Premiere, click on Premiere, they'll give you the baseline package. And here's the cool thing about uh, Puget Systems. They want to talk to you. So you can reach out to them and say, guys, this is what I'm specifically looking to build. This is how I need to have it built. This is how much money I have to spend on it being built. And here's a big surprise to all y'all. There isn't a fucking configuration of hardware that works for everything. Sure, you can build a basic package that kind of does a good job with all the programs, like some of the bigger companies out there do, or you can just hyper-focus your money and your hardware on whatever uh, software you use, i.e. if you're building a After Effects machine, right? 
these guys, the cool thing about Puget Systems is that they benchmark test all this new hardware. So when you start to hear, this is a sweet new graphics card on the market, these guys will tell you how well it works with the programs. That's key. That's fucking key, man. And the cool thing about them is that they're not just trying to sell you systems. If you're someone that builds your own PCs, they share all these benchmark tests. They put them all up there. And they have updates. They talk about what the new Windows updates do to the machine. Really fucking cool company. I'm actually subscribed to their mail list and I get a lot of really good stuff from them in their mail list. I think you could subscribe to their stuff on their website. So go to PugetSystems.com, check them out uh, and support the show. Click the fucking link below the episode. Okay. <sighs> next up. Who's next? Uh, oh, Quasar. Quasar Science. So one of the cool new advances in our industry has been LED technology. Um, we've, I think before this episode is the, what Tim one comes up before this one, right? Yeah. So the last episode we did, we hung out with Tim from Quasar. He told you all about the cool new Quasar stuff that's going on. Told you about the issues with RGB LED lights. Um, but then still the benefits of using LED technology. I fucking still love them. I have two cases of Quasar lights. I just used them last week. I love these units. They're really great. So if you're looking to buy new light gear, if you want to have a small kit, if you're a photographer that wants to have a small kit, if you're a videographer, you want to have a small kit, very low footprint kit, very lightweight, doesn't require a lot of power. Some of these things can even be run off batteries. Go to quasarscience.com. Check out all that new technology. Um, click the link below. Let them know that I fucking sent you. And you are supporting the show by doing so. I love you for it. Mm. Let's see. I think those are the two reads. There may be an awkward cut. Also supporting the show uh, is Industry Jump. We're very excited to be forming a new partnership uh, with IndustryJump.com. They're a global community of verified filmmakers, providing the next generation of filmmakers with the resources required to grow their business, learn new skills, and manage their careers. You can sign up for free. You can even create a verified portfolio search for film crew to hire for your next project and learn from top tier creators in the industry through live video mentoring. So go, if you're interested in this stuff, go check them out. They're over at industryjump.com or on Instagram at industryjump. And what they're going to be doing is they're going to be promoting the episode to their folks as well. So if you showed up from Industry Jump, welcome to the podcast. As you can see, we kind of do the same kind of thing a little bit differently. So happy that you're here, excited to have you on board, and really pumped to be working with the dudes at Industry Jump. Because I may have to like inject a new read that we got because we're, we're fishing around for some sponsors and we're doing this a few weeks early. So, you know, deal with it, man. <laughs> Not everything's perfect. Not every podcast is a perfect little snowflake. Um, yeah, and like, as always, uh, oh, there are two ways to support us on the In Love With The Process page. So if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, there, if you haven't done so already, sign up for a free trial with Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com backslash inlovewiththeprocess, there you can sign up for a 30-day free trial, which comes with a free audiobook. I don't know if they want me calling them audiobooks, with a free audio thing. And uh, you can listen to that. You have the trial for 30 days. And uh, if you dig it, stick around. There's a lot of really good stuff to listen to. There's a lot of good novels, audio novels on the website, which you'll be able to listen to, which is really cool. Um, and if you don't like it, and if you're like, look, I can't fucking afford to pay for this right now, cancel it. Doesn't make a difference for us. 
I'm not even supposed to be telling you that. Not going to make a difference. As long as you do the 30-day free trial, we get paid, right? Super easy way to do it. Now, I know a lot of other podcasts of doing the 30-day trial and you've done it before. If you've done it before, it doesn't work, so don't bother doing it again. But if you haven't signed up for it yet, go to audibletrial.com backslash the love of the process. Good way to support the show, okay? Another way to support the show and you've heard me say this before, if you listen to the show, if you're an asshole, if you don't know how to deal with your finances, right? If you're someone that doesn't know how to not go on to Amazon late at night and purchase a bunch of bullshit that you don't need and your credit card debt is out of control and you just can't seem to pay things off and you can't make those monthly payments, then please don't listen to this. Don't take this advice. Don't do any of this, okay? But if you're someone that knows financing, someone that is responsible with their finances. If you're someone that's expanding your business, let's say you're a freelance uh, photographer or you're a freelance cameraman and uh, you have to rent gear, right? And we've talked about renting gear on the show before and your clients, you somehow haven't convinced your clients to give you that money up front to rent gear. Nothing sucks worse than having to reach into your own savings, your rent savings account to rent that equipment and then your client doesn't pay you for net 60, right? And you're like, well, fuck. How am I going to get my rent money? I learned this really early on. Get yourself a credit card. Now, if you're going to get yourself a credit card, get your get yourself a card that has great rewards because you're going to be transitioning a lot of cash through that. Like a good camera rental fucking budget can be fifteen dollars to $3,000 for a shoot, right? And a lot of these cards have really good reward stuff, especially during the sign-up bonus time. So, for instance, the two deals that we have are with Capital One. You can either get the Venture Card or the Venture One Card. The difference between the two cards is that the Venture Card has a $95 annual, $95 annual fee. So after the first year, every year that you have that card costs you $95. So you got to ask yourself the question, am I getting enough from all the bonus miles to pay for that $95 plus some? Or should I go for the Venture One Card, which has no annual fee, but it just has a lower reward point system? Now, how does the system work? On the Venture Card, you earn two times the miles per dollar on every purchase every day, earn 50,000 bonus miles when you spend 3,000 on purchases within the first three months. Okay, so you spend $3,000 within the first three months, uh, you get 50,000 bonus miles, and that equals $500 towards travel expenses, which could be plane tickets, could be Uber rides, could be fucking hotels, Uh, super easy to use. Or with the Venture One card that has no annual fee, you get 1.25 miles per dollar in every purchase every day, and you earn 20,000 bonus miles once you spend $1,000 in purchases within the first three months, which equals $200 towards travel points. And you're like, okay, cool, Mike, you're just rattling off all these fucking numbers. Here's the deal, man. Gina and I did it before we moved out here because we knew we had a bunch of expenses that we could already pay off, right? We already had the money to pay them off. So we got some credit cards put the stuff on the credit cards, paid those fucking things off, got the bonus miles. We literally got enough money to ship me out here to look for houses the month early and not have to pay for it. So be smart about it, man. Build some credit, have a little bit of padding behind you, be responsible, and get yourself a credit card. Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, click on the sponsors page. There you can find the Audible sign-up. There you can find the Audible sign-up, and you can find the Capital One stuff, Okay. Those are the reads. Let's get back into it. I am super excited to give you the rest of this episode, so I'm going to shut the fuck up. 
Well, it's interesting you said horror. Um, I've done a couple of horror things, and you also asked about what some of the more challenging lighting conditions, you know, whether it's, you know, on the the big stunt or in a small room uh, with actors. Uh, there was a very small $5 million budget horror movie I did a couple of years ago called Lights Out. Uh-huh. Maybe you're familiar with it. Yeah, David Sandberg, yep. And his story is interesting as well. He'd be somebody great for your show, as a matter of fact, because his story is very unique and interesting. Surprisingly, we both have the same management team, which oh, is crazy. That's cool. You should reach out to him. He's a great guy. Yeah. I enjoyed meeting him and working with him on that. Uh, from a lighting perspective, the the concept there is that there's this creature that you only see when the lights are off. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The whole narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and we got a $5 million budget and a very short schedule. And yeah. we have to, we have to, you know, figure out how this creature is going to interact with our lead ensemble of actors who we need to see and recognize, who need to be lit. But the creature, and they didn't want to just make it all, they didn't have the money and they didn't want to just do it all in post as a CGI creature. We wanted to have an actual real creature there in the frame yep. who is very closely interacting with the actors that, we need to recognize our lead actors, but we have to make sure that the light does not hit the creature because the creature can't be in light. The creature ne needs to be in silhouette. <laughs> yeah, what a what a challenge! Times. What a challenge! And there was times I was standing on that set after, and uh, and the director being new that he had he had done a short version of this that went viral, and then Hollywood called him and said come make it a movie and he'd never been on a movie set or had any formal training as a director. Yeah. And so he would come up with these concepts concepts of, you know, what we're going to do. And I'd just be standing there scratching my head going, I really, I mean, and you know, everybody's coming up and the, the cinematographer's <laughs> coming up and asking me like, what are we going to do here? How do and we, how do we light a scene where there's not supposed to be any light? There in can't it. be any light. And the, the producers are yelling, make it darker, make it darker. I'm like, can we do that in post? Can we, you know, make it darker later? Because it's really hard to make it dark here. And I'd have a million different lights up to be able to cut and just like, so that the actors would be lit. But we could and cut all the light off so where this creature would come in would be in silhouette. So lighting up backgrounds so the creature's silhouetted, light for the actors, but not on the creature. It was a it was it was a blast. <laughs> it was tough. Yeah. And there was times I wanted to like just like wish I could walk away and forget about it all. But I'm so it was a kind of challenge where it's like, all right, we're gonna figure this out. <laughs> you know, and we did. And that movie, that little five million dollar tier one movie grossed over a hundred million dollars it's so insane i just can't imagine see i'm in that position where if i had written that, if i had written that script and i had it in my hand i would have been like the gaffer's gonna fucking hate my guts because <laughs> 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 the whole theory of it it makes your job so intense i think this was the movie was this the one i don't know if he did it in the feature if he did it in the short but he had to see the eyes of the creature I don't know yeah. if this is the right. And didn't he put reflectors or something on That's the right. backside I, of the I lids? I forgot about that. Yeah. Aspect. What was it? What was the deal with that? Oh, was it? Uh, there was some sort of. I don't know if it was a pros prosthetic eye or so, there was something. Where like they closed their eyes and yeah, then, where you, they could close, open and close their eyes. And they didn't want to just do it in post. Again, they wanted to be in camera and have it really work. I can't. 
I wish I could remember better what that was. Because from but, what I had heard off, can't well from the bullshit that you hear online, it was uh, they had reflectors, and then the reflectors were able to pick up whatever little eye light that really wasn't giving yeah. any kind of exposure. So I would I would put just the bare glint of something like just a little pin light, though it wouldn't illuminate uh, the creature's face. But those little reflective eyes would pick up, and sometimes super scary, and it worked really well. <laughs> yeah. And like the eyes would be there blinking, and that's all you'd see. So we'd light something in the background, have have the creature silhouetted in the in because in you the have shot, to see the shape of the creature and just see yeah. like these silhouetted creature in this scary environment, and just that little twinkle these super scary eyes you know it was it was fun i mean i hate horror movies by the way like i don't go to them when we were when i was with the cinematographer and we're doing reference material that he was having us watch we were like in an office with the fluorescent lights on the doors open and screaming like you know a couple of schoolgirls because it's like oh gory uh you know it's just i don't i don't do horror movies it's not my thing but as a filmmaker it's a lot of fun to do them and i enjoy lighting them and because you have all of this creative freedom to you know really make creepy you know fun dramatic colorful you know lighting conditions that was fun i love that i mean one of the things i love to do is is practical stuff for the simple purpose that i get to scare the crew and it's kind of my favorite like uh on my last short for who's there i don't have it on my phone anymore but um my assistant uh uh camera focus puller who i've used for years he's there and i have video footage of a of an actual gag that we do on set like a physical gag and you know, he's so focused on his job. He's a great guy, but he was kind of aloof. And he didn't really know what was going to happen in the scene. And he's focus pulling. And so I knew that it was going to scare the shit out of him. So I had the camera on him while the scene went. And he's just focus pulling. And he just sees it happen. He goes, oh, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's great that you got that. And then you, yeah, you yeah. know that the audience is going to do that yeah. because of it. And so I think one of the reasons why I love to do, besides physical, good physical stuff is great for the acting. But it's for also sure. fun for the set. And, it, you know, for, for me to convince uh, a, a company, a giant company or a giant studio to give me, you know, over a million dollars, it's like, holy shit. So sure. why not make that experience? Because who knows if that's the last time you're ever going to fucking do it. Yeah. yeah. So why not make that experience so much fun for everybody that's involved with it? Um, and that's why I've loved. Uh, that's why I like doing shit practically. And so yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about that because I remember reading about that, going, "Fucking clever, man!" The reflectors on the yeah, back of the eyes, yeah, and you yeah. make that work. Yeah, and it was. I think it was. Uh, it was more than. Gosh, I wish I could remember better. I think it was more than just like a contact lens. It was like this whole eye eyepiece or a mask or something. I think it was a. Maybe it was a mask that had these eyes that would open and close. You know. Yeah. yeah. So it was. A, it was a whole real deal, and. uh yeah. Man, that was a challenging movie. But so that's interesting because you're talking about it being so challenging on a five million. And then you look at um like the Fast and Furious franchise sure. where you've got shots where like Vin Diesel's like stepping out of the car and like jumping off a car into sure. something else or um well, and a great you- sequence from Fast and Furious Seven um was that and it's funny, I was on uh Captain America when the phone call came in from the director to Igor about this concept, which was for fat for fast seven to have vehicles get ejected from the back of a plane, right? parachute down, land on a mountain off road, chase ensues, 
get onto the road, the mountain road, catch up to a bus, blow out the back of the bus, jump into the bus, go save the girl, jump back out into the car <laughs> and uh, come to a screeching halt just as the bus loses control and goes off a cliff and crashes to the ground. <laughs> and that was like, can you know, there, and I was there when the phone call came in and, and they were asking, can we shoot this? Can we do this? This is what's written. Somebody, it's easy to write it. <laughs> yeah. and I, oftentimes I feel like the writers are like five-year-old kids with a bunch of like matchbox cars pew, 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 and exactly. it lands on a mountain and it drives. You know what I mean? It's funny because then the stunt coordinator is standing on the side of the mountain with matchbox cars, <laughs> planning it out. I've seen it a bunch of times. It brings a bag of, a bag of ma matchbox cars over our, our stunt, big stunt coordinators. And they're just sitting, all the stunt drivers are all in a big circle and they're all playing with their matchbox cars, <laughs> figuring out who's going to go where. It's great. It's just like boys with their toys. You know? Yeah. 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 So uh, what was your response when you heard all of this stuff? I was like, you know, like blown away. Like, and, and knowing, knowing this group of filmmakers that knowing that we're going to figure that out mm. and they want to do it practical. We don't want to just, yeah, we could have a, a car hanging from a wire on a green screen stage and, you know, say, but no, that's not how we did it. We took cars up wow. into a cargo jet and ejected them out somewhere in, over the Arizona desert where they could actually fall to the ground safely. You wow. know, now you imagine the coordination on something like this. Not only do we have like military cargo jets and we're loading picture cars into them that we're going to eject out over the desert. We've got to make sure everything's safe down below. And then of course, environmental concerns and you know, oh my all this stuff. I mean, all this coordination, that was a separate unit that just went and shot the cars. And then we have, they're ejecting the cars out and there's, there's stunt cameramen that are, going out and jumping out with the cards with parachutes that are going to shoot them going down to get this sequence. Right. And then we're, um, in Colorado at Pike's peak shooting elaborate rigs with cranes and everything with the cars, then just hitting the ground. So that it's on a cable and it comes flying in and then you release it and then it hits the ground and then hopefully drives off if we didn't break the car, <laughs> which, worked yeah. sometimes and then sometimes we broke the car <laughs> and then you pick it up with like stunt drivers driving the car across all these environments yeah, yeah, in yeah. colorado it's all supposed to stand in for eastern europe and um and then you bring the the bus aspect and then there was the rock quarry which was another 100 miles away from there or no the rock quarry was in georgia so we're now we're in arizona and colorado and georgia this is all for one sequence that takes place in the story in one place but it's broken into these. But we're broken pieces. up and going all over the place doing this sequence, and we're in this rock quarry in Georgia doing the the bus tumbling down, and then we end up with being on a green screen stage with our cast, our ensemble from Fast and Furious, Dom and all the and company. And then they're in the cars, and, and we bring those cars in all yeah. nice, and we do, and we recreate all the lighting that was in all of those environments. Flying through the air, landing on the ground, driving down the mountain roads, sun spinning around, tumbling, jumping out. All of that is performed in front of green screens and pretending to drive. Yeah, yeah. And and then that all goes to post-production and CGI and everything gets all blended together and turns into what, a seven or eight minute sequence. opening sequence. Of, of how do you, how do you uh, maintain the continuity? Like, how do you figure out? Because you've gone... To all these different places, I and mean, we're talking weeks in between, right? Sure. You know, so how are you maintaining the continuity of like these different spots? Well, a lot of good planning. Um, 
you know, and discussing and meeting and, you know, ad nauseum at sometimes like, let's stop talking. Let's just go shoot it. I mean, as a director, you know what that's like. <laughs> oh my you God. Know, it's finally, your, your you know, life. It's your whole life. You talk about it so much. And then it's just, you, you know, the best way to get it done is to just get it, get yeah. it, put it in the can, as yeah. we used to say. Yeah. And, um, but really reference footage, you know, so, all right, we've already shot these things. And what did that look like? And obviously we do whenever we can, the final performances in front of, you know, the driving green screen shots, um, what used to be called poor man process that I now call rich man's process because <laughs> it's the way we do it is very expensive. And that's the last part. So you've already shot all those environments. So then you're just recreating that and keeping the continuity so you're just going through like your reference footage and you're just like okay here's where the source comes from here's the yeah, what did we, how did we what did that look like two months ago when we shot <laughs> yeah. it in colorado yeah. yeah 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 and then that's fascinating too because then the quality of light changes if it's the sun or if it's something else and so then you're taking that into consideration on what kind of units you're using exactly and, and then you know if i'm doing if i'm doing uh in 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 this case, Dan Cornwall was the gaffer on first unit on Fast 7 when it began. And um, I was doing the action unit. So we talk, like I call him up and I say, all right, so, you know, we're doing this and what are you doing? And, you know, when we have chats and conversations and emails. And so I'm coordinating with, with my counterpart on first unit to make sure that we're all on the same page. You know? Are you guys really specific about it? Is it like, this is the angle of light that I'm using or is it like, these are the units that I'm using? Sometimes or? it is very specific down to units or color, you know, yeah. color is important. Yeah. So, you know, so sometimes very specific, sometimes it's a little more general and, uh, and yeah, you know, it was daytime. <laughs> you're well, fine. Well, Take well, a day. You're going to be fine. Well, with a lot of those action sequence stuff, I always get a kick out of Michael Bay's. So, like, his, like, in-car stuff where somehow he has, like, this weird reflector and he's just... <laughs> and then people are, like, driving, the car's going nowhere, and he's just sort of moving around. He does, like, that poor man's process. So, I, I guess with the action sequences, you the continuity... I mean, as long as the sun's not completely changing direction, yeah. there's, there's room for error in there. You know, what we have to remember is, because as filmmakers, it's such a slow process from the way compared to how it's revealed in the end when you're watching the movie right so we get very obsessed with the one rectangle the one frame that we're shooting at any given moment we get obsessed with it and every little detail within that rectangle and what we have to remind ourselves sometimes is that you know how is this going to work in the edit you know and how fast is that going to be up there and and what is the audience really paying attention to? Right. What's the focus at this time? You know, magicians have been, you know, successful at, you know, hiding their tricks by distracting you. Right. you know, there's music and there's edits and there's performance and there's storyline. You know, we forget, I think, sometimes how much the storyline distracts from the things that we're obsessing over in a rectangle. You know, and it's like, wow, you know, that tree, um, you know, the pine needles aren't quite right or something. It's like nobody gives a shit. No one cares. It's they're they're thinking about this whole drama that's unfolding and you're editing and you're coming around. And, and sometimes you have to let go of but You know, as filmmakers, we're very meticulous. Mm -hmm. We want to do a good job and everybody's very passionate. And, you, you know, you want fight the good fight and make it as good as we can. And sometimes you got to let some things go and you have to remember it's OK. You're right. Right, because at some point it's going to go through the process in the back end and someone's going to... Yeah, because I've been in the edit room. So you, you, sit know. In, you sit in that edit room and you're just like, all right, so 
we spent all this time making sure that those specular highlights were great, but I lost three different shots of coverage in that yeah. meantime. So yeah, and you know that coverage is important. Exactly. You know? And I I see directors do that all the time. It is not just cinematographers and the crew. Directors will get really caught up on different things in a performance, and it's like you see the first AD going, dude. We gotta like we have to get Crank these it. other yeah. story points, and we're gonna run out of light, and you know, and and director you know it's not the director's job to like be necessarily worried about you know whether he's going to run out of light that's the ad's job to kind of keep him on track there but you know it's good that the director's focused on that but on the other hand some at some point you have you to learn have how that to let bird's go eye and view. Yeah, yeah. that balance you know it's yeah. really it can be really tough to keep i think a lot of artists have trouble with it because it's one of those few artistic careers where you're on a fucking time schedule you know what I mean? Where you're completely like, look, if you don't make this decision sure. right now, then you're going to lose an entire sequence or you're going to lose an entire portion. We've of been this. experiencing that on this project I'm on right now, which uh, is uh, a comedy, uh, mostly day, ex a lot of day exterior. And we're shooting in wintertime. Um, we shot right through, um, you know, uh, the shortest days of the year. Yeah. And if you're daylight dependent, you know, you 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 can maybe start by 7 a.m., 8 a.m. at the earliest. You can actually roll camera, 8, 8.30 sometimes. And then by 4.30 in the afternoon, you're out of business. Yeah. So, you know, it has to be, you know, scheduled that way. Uh, you have to make sure that you can make your day. Yeah, because the fucking big light shuts off at a it's certain point. Nothing I can do about yeah, that. Yeah. You know, there's a few tricks of the trade to extend the day. But it really, you know, yeah. once you're... Once the sun goes down, it, it changes everything. Yeah, which is interesting too. So you're doing a movie that's mostly exteriors. Does that mean your your package is smaller for that? Like, because I think a lot of people who don't understand what what lighting for film is, they're like, okay, so it's just daylight exteriors. What you, what is a gaffer doing? Yeah, outside yeah. during the day. What is what what did your days like? You know, this? it's interesting because uh, we recently did some uh there was uh i did both first and second unit for fast and furious nine which we just finished shooting about a month ago oh wow okay so that's going to be coming out i think in summer and um for some flashback parts of that we shot on film and um it was interesting to go back to film and what was great about that was that i was more involved in the day exterior shooting because I have a meter and I'm talking to the cinematographer and we're doing exposures. We got three cameras. There's different filter factors. There's NDs there. I was like, Oh man, I'm back in the saddle again on day exterior. You know, I'm part of the, I'm part of it. Yeah. These days on digital photography, I have a lot less to do on day exteriors because in the American style of filmmaking, the key grip is doing all the overheads and the, and the diffusion and blocking out the sun and so forth. So, and now the DIT is on set, digital image technician, who's handling exposure mm -hmm. and working with the cinematographer on making sure that all the filter factors and the first AC, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm out of, I'm available, I'm there to help. I, I usually stay with my cinematographer, even on day exteriors where we're not doing any lighting, just as another eye. Sure. And just as, you know, kind of keeping an eye out for the aesthetic. And, of course, my crew is still providing power on set and doing all the things that a set lighting crew does. But it, it does, day exterior gets to be where I, I don't have as much to do. And um, I don't like to do too many in a row. I like doing lighting. 
I like to lie. Hell yeah, man. Now, of course, when we move in for close-ups, sometimes there's an opportunity for a, you know, a big bounce light or some, or, a, you know, a night the sun ducks behind a tree. So we're going to put a big HMI up and give them a, a streaming backlight to represent the sun that's been there all day and now is gone. It's still light and ambient out, but we've lost the direct sunlight. I get to replace that. That's fun. At least, you know, gives me something to do, you know, and <laughs> still be part of it, which I, you know, passionately want to be always engaged in the filmmaking. Um, but also you asked about, you know, whether it's a smaller lighting equipment package when we do something like that, uh, we have to be ready for anything. And almost any movie's got day interior, day exterior, night interior, night exterior, um, stage work, uh, various locations. So pretty much the truck package stays the same movie to movie, you know, budget could dictate maybe going right. smaller. But uh, unless a project is 100% going to be the entire movie takes place like on a football field. Right, right, right. And that's all there is right. in the whole story. You know, <laughs> then I could say, okay, we can get away with like, we need like four lights and we're good, good to, to go. go. Yeah. Uh, but most of the time we go to lots of different environments. So the package stays the same. Fascinating. So you've been doing this for a long time at this point. Um, and you know, gear changes and all this technology stuff changes, but uh, lights are kind of like your paintbrush at this point. Lights are like your, your little things that you can rely on. Um, is there, do you still have like a favorite unit? Do you still have like, do you have go-to, like no matter what, you're like, I know what I'm going to use for a close-up on the lead, sure. on the lead actress. Like wh what are your go-tos? You know, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've always had a problem with, you know, people asking what's your favorite what's your favorite of anything you know what's your favorite color what's your favorite movie what's your favorite music band whatever my favorite light you know at work and i realized it's like well you know the favorite is like it's so conditional upon so many things you sure know, the mood i'm in what you know in my case with lighting it's it's a cinematographer you know and whatever my favorite is at some point doesn't matter if his favorite's something else we're going to do it the way he wants to do it yeah, yeah so i have a lot of tools that i use and i use regularly um it changes with the technology yeah um you know it's funny i can i i could go back to an old school theatrical lighting fixture that has gotten me out of trouble. I don't know how many times it's probably the cheapest light on the set <laughs> yeah. to buy. Yeah. It probably, um, the most rugged, durable, waterproof, you know, bang it up, run it over, whatever kind of light. And it's just the good old fashioned park hand. Yeah. Yeah. With a park hand, which is, basically and it comes in different sizes but i'm referring to like the thousand watt park can mm -hmm. and they have different beam widths so you can go wide narrow very narrow um and what we call fire starters which are really <laughs> and they're named that for a purpose they're so narrow it's a thousand watts of like reflected focused light that if you point it at a set for too long you'll burn it down it's the yeah. old uh the old magnifying glass ant trick exactly yeah, 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 yeah. yeah built into a lamp so <laughs> it's great it's like you know i don't know how many times you know last minute they're getting ready to roll and the cinematographer and i are looking at an image and go wow I just wish there was a little bit of texture on those trees way in the background, way back there. You know, wouldn't that be nice? 
And I just jump on the radio and guys, guys, get me a park can. <laughs> and, you know, they'll jump out there, throw a little gel on it, you know, half blue or something at night and, you know, get the fire starter out and point it 300 feet away and hit the tops of those pine trees way over there. Sure, sure. And by the time before the slate comes out, we can have it up in no time. And it's like, you know, we'll save the day. Sometimes we just bounce it into sometimes I bounce it into the side of a working truck. Yeah. You know, just like, oh, we need a bounce. You know, you take a medium flood thousand watt park can, stick it on a stand, bounce it into the camera truck. And next thing you know, you have this nice, soft, you know, ambient <laughs> fill that, you know, you just need it in a GIF, you know. Uh, the thing that's so great about lighting and uh, like I got into it heavy when I started because um, I had to teach myself cinematography and I had to teach myself lighting and I got really into it. And now even... These days, my girlfriend's a fashion photographer, and I'll go light for her, and I, I fucking love it. It's like, I also love to cook, and I love to barbecue, and it's it's the same thing for I me. Agree. It's like that same sort of mode, and when you're working for somebody, I find that when I'm working as a lighting technician for her, I'm moving the whole time, all yeah. the way until the point, even when she's shooting, because it's still, I'm even just like, whoa, 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 getting in there yeah, and yeah. just doing like a little tweak. Hold on, let me get an edge, let me do that stuff. Sure. Is it the same for you guys at this level? Oh, Are you totally. constantly going? Oh, it's funny that you say that. Well, two things come up. One, I've helped out some film students on their projects. You know, nobody really knows what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, you're there to help guide, but it's like you're trying to get through it. And where I'll have like you know six or eight lighting fixtures set up, and I just go in a circle. I just keep going in a circle around the set, tweaking and focusing and doing it <laughs> yeah. myself. And they're just watching, like, oh my gosh, and I'm just like going around and around. That's a lot of fun. And I like getting my hands on it a lot. Now, on big sets and on a union production, my guys are so capable and so experienced and that, you know, if they see me touch a light, <laughs> they, like, come right over like like, like they're failing because I'm touching a yeah, light. Yeah, like, did I fuck up? Like, why are you, touch, why are you doing Yeah, yeah, thing? like, you know, I can do that for you, Mike. And <laughs> I'm like, I'm like... No, 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 dude, you don't understand. Like, I like touching the light. And I don't do it often, but sometimes, like, on the 14th hour, yeah. on the martini shot. Yeah, yeah, And it's a slight adjustment just for the actor um, or for a piece of background or something I see. I can't, I've, I've talked on my microphone too many times through the day. I'm burnt out. And you're just delegating all the fucking time. Delegating all day long. And you just get to the point where it's like, you know what? It's so much easier for me to just walk over that light and pan it left two degrees (laughs) than to like ask somebody to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And plus it feels good. It's nice to touch the light. Yeah. Yeah. I get it, man. It's I come back to cooking. It's like seasoning. It's like, I generally have, there's nothing more fearful than when you walk in a dark set. And there's like, there's nothing on. And you're just like, where the fuck do we start? That's the first right. thing. And then you do like that broad stroke paint where you, you turn on a light, you turn on a second light, you start to see the color and then you look at the monitor and you're like, all right, hell yeah. And you then see like, where we're going. and everybody sort of sighs relief a yeah. little bit. Like yeah. the, the cinematographer's like, all right, like now I can see what's going yeah. on. And yeah. the director's like, okay, you guys aren't total fuck ups. You know, and then you have all those moments. You're like, cool. And then it's like seasoning at that point where you're just like, Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. If I right. tweak this and I do that and I do this and it, like you get this, at least I do, I get this, this rush of excitement yeah. Yeah. in that thing. And I, I'm always curious when I see stuff at this level where it's just like 50 fucking guys, you got dudes that are like working hard for you, but they're just sort of salty and they're just like, whatever, man. Right. And it's like, I'm always curious if that sort of core excitement still exists at this big level, you know? 
Yeah, and um, I think kind of that environment of just like the old salty dog, grumpy, you know, veteran crew member that, you know, has seen it all, done it all, and is just coming in, punching his time card, and like, you know, you're afraid to talk to him. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's kind of gone by the wayside. Because good, good, good. when you go on sets today, people are in such awesome moods. I mean, it's really like one of the happiest places around is coming onto a film set. People are happy. They say hello. They want to, they're engaging. They're smiling. They're having a good time. They're grateful that they get to be the ones that do it. Sometimes I just go and I say, I'll go up to somebody and say, good morning. I go, who gets to do this? <laughs> yeah. We do. Yeah. You know, and I say that all the time, just in as a, a reminder of how grateful that this is the path that we get to be on. And it's it's a special place to be. It's not better than anything else. It's not about that. It's not an arrogance. It's just a gratitude for being able to be a storyteller, a modern storyteller, and be part of it. Yeah, and you guys are part of it. Like all these teams were part of it. Lighting team's a part of it. The grip department's a part of it. Yeah. The camera department's a part of it. We're a family. Like, and it like at the end of the day, you're so needed at this scale. Especially if you if you're a young director and you're coming up and you're so used to like, all right, give me the camera. I'm not gonna do this stuff. As soon as you get past that story, sure. which is usually like handheld, no real lighting, natural kind of lighting sure. and stuff. And as soon as you decide that you want to sort of develop your narrative. And you're like, what if I, what if the shots mean something? What if the light cues mean something? What if these things start to mean something for the tone of the film? Sure. As soon as you get into that point, as a young filmmaker, you hit that point and you're like, okay, so how do I, I can't fucking do that. <laughs> like I can't physically do all these things at the same time. So then your learning skills change where you're like, how do I take what I don't know is in here and get it out of this thing? <laughs> To somebody who I kind of know, or if I'm yep. new, I don't know, and how are they going to respond to it? And I think that's why so many crews become, from a young age, become really tight knit. Because sure. I know as a director, I, like I was a terrible student, so it's funny that I'm on a podcast because my vocabulary is like you know fifth fucking grade vocabulary. <laughs> so like when you're on set and you're doing, you know, the twelfth hour, and you're just like you know and you're yeah. just making a noise you're around these guys that are just like and they're yeah. and somehow that this unspoken language through the visual cues and everything else sure. it's the coolest thing yeah and i think fun. the closest thing that i've seen to it in the past is like being on cruise and being on labor cruise and to a certain extent that's there but with with cinema it takes all the great aspects of what I loved about labor crews, like painting houses or, sure. or any of that stuff. And then brings it into the crea- creative realm where these people are so focused sure. on this one thing, like it's that rectangle. Craftsmanship. Yeah. Fuck yeah. It's craftsmanship. It and in our society today where machines have taken over things that craftsmen used to create, um, filmmaking is still created and made by craftsmen yeah and that's that craftsmanship is something that that we're proud of we know how to do this we've done it and i mean that's one of the reasons why i'm on this pop podcast because i want to share that 
you know, this is, we get to do this. I'm grateful for my experiences and things I can do. That's why I interact with people on Instagram because things like Instagram become a portal into this Hollywood world that is seems so elusive to so many people. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Film students and enthusiasts from all over the world reach out to me through Instagram and say, Hey, Mike, what about this? Or how how do I get started? What, you know, what are the, you know, and just being able to reach out and, and, and communicate that they can actually access us a little Mm -hmm. bit Mm -hmm. is huge. And what a great way to give back. And that's why I wanted to do this podcast is like, I want to give back to the people that are enthusiasts or that are up and coming and want to figure out how to get here. Um, it's all possible and it's amazing and we are craftsmen and it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful, incredible and exciting life. Craftsman is a good way to put it. And I think more importantly, it gives us purpose in a time period where a lot of people are having trouble figuring out what purpose is. And a lot of, a lot of these jobs are being automated and a lot of this stuff is happening and we're seeing people not struggling with the fact that they don't have a specific purpose. And I'm kind of really happy that a lot of filmmaking is still very hands-on. And it's still passionate. Yeah. And because, you know, you can get a job, but are you passionate about that job? Yeah. If you're a filmmaker, there's a lot of potential there to find your passion and be passionate about something. And that's something that's missing, I think, with so many people. It's like, yeah, you, you can, there's, there's a lot of opportunities to make money in the world. Yeah. Um, but to do it in something that you're passionate about, that's, that's it's a, winning the lottery. It's like a, it's like a fucking drug too. Cause when you yeah. have those days, you're just like, how much am I getting paid? Who cares, man? Like today, yeah. like it's been so satisfying. Let's fix his, fix his mic stand. That's Cause it seems to be like dropping bit. down a little it bit. Dropping. Levels are still good though. I've okay. And I, I was worried about it about 10 minutes ago, but I was seeing we're still hovering around negative. Oh, water in here. Oh, that's... I, have, I have a water. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's unopened, actually, if you'd like it. Looks like Bud Light. Uh, that's, a t- <laughs> that's hysterical no, that that's a refrigerator. Oh, yeah, this is not real. I was looking this at that. This is a refrigerator. I was looking that's at amazing. that. Though. Yeah. I was like, well, maybe he plays guitar back here. <laughs> I used to play guitar in here a little more, but now. He's got this. For those of you who can't see, those of you who aren't cool enough to be in the space with us right now, he's actually got a refrigerator that looks like a Marshall amp, a head and an amp. Isn't that great? It's fun. So they come in and they think that that's just, um, you know, that that's like, you know, for jamming out and chilling. <laughs> but actually, it's um, where we keep the cold beer. That's <laughs> <laughs> so cool, man. We do not drink and go on set. Of course. It's only for after hours. <laughs> of course. How are we doing on time? Where are we at? Uh, we are at one minute, uh, one hour, 12 minutes. Okay, we're doing good. Um, how are you doing on time? You okay? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, we, I could probably, I don't know. I know that your podcasts are pretty lengthy. That's why I was i was like, all right. Um, nah, we could probably go for another like 20 minutes. Yeah, about, about 20 minutes or so just because I want to, we're, we're, it's not going to, it's not going to be a long day out there and it was the perfect day to do this, but I want to bring you guys up on set. Hell yeah. You know, introduce you to some of the crew and stuff like that. Hell yeah, man. Hello, but, totally into it. Um, so uh, you bring up um, Instagram and that's how I ended up getting in touch with you. Yeah. Which is great. Um, Instagram's been such a really cool thing because uh, when you do a podcast, most of the time, and I'm actually talking to a few, you're talking to some publicists and you end up getting 
uh, people that are on promo tours. Mm. So like most content that you're seeing online, it's like someone has some movie that they want to promote. And I really didn't want to do that with the show. You know, you're not here to promote anything. We're here nope. to talk about the industry. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Instagram has been really big and they, they don't fucking sponsor me. And I think there's a lot of bad shit that comes out of social media. But the good thing about social media is the fact that I can reach out to someone like you. Sure. And it's, it's awesome that you and are receptive I, to that. I can give back. Yeah, to, yeah. To people that want to listen, you know. Hell yeah. Um, I mean, just the name of your show, in love of the process, you know, and that's about that passion that we're talking about, about that craftsmanship, you know, and that's that's why we're in love with the process. It's the kind of job where you do that, you know. I think there's a lot of jobs out there where people dread getting up in the morning, and going to work. Yeah. And that's that's not the case for us. We wake up in the morning, we're excited to go to work and see what's new today and what's different and what part of the story we get to tell today. And to be able to share that on a platform like Instagram or on podcasts is uh, it's it's a great treat. Mm. It just it's just taking it and paying it forward and just putting it out there for people, you know, well, inspiring hopefully somebody. It's fascinating to me. Excuse me. It's fascinating to me that most people don't know what a fucking gaffer is. Like you oh, go yeah. like average people are like reading the credits because they're waiting for that like final credit sequence in a Marvel movie, and they're just like. What is it like a gopher, like a gaffer? What the fuck is a gaffer? And then, and of like, course, being a gaffer, people say, "What do you do for a living?" And I say, "I'm a gaffer." And you know, now I can answer that question differently if I don't want to get into it. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's fun to see people, you know, because people generally don't want to look stupid, so they'll go, "Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. You know, I've seen it on the credits." Or some people know what it is, of course. And then some people just come right out and say, yeah, you know, I've seen that, but what is that? You know, what, what is the gaffer? You know, and I like the old, the old term for the, for the position. Um, it's, uh, it, there, there was a movement in the, in contract services in the, in the union to change it to chief lighting technician some years ago. And I was like, CLT chief lighting technician. That kind of takes the, the creative side out of it. It's like now I'm a technician. And part of that was to try to raise wages for for us and making us tech more of a technical trade rather than just lot labor. And mm-hmm. that was the that was the motivation to come up with the chief lighting technician title. Um, and by contract, that's actually what it is. It's chief lighting technician. Um, mm-hmm. Gaffer is a term and I've looked at it a bunch of times and I, there's no real like nobody has the definitive answer on where that came from oh fascinating it um there was a gaffer on sailing ships um way back in you know the early days of of of, of ships that uh you know tall mast sailing ships and the gaffer was an older man that was in charge of a crew um on the ship and he hmm. knew about the rigging and you know there was the gaffer pole and stuff that they use somehow on the ships this is one story i've heard and so don't hold me to any of it but this is you know some of the folklore and that when the ships would come back into england for example uh and they'd have shore time the theater there shakespearean times they they needed people that knew how to rig stuff and and put up <sighs> backdrops and 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 rig scenic pieces who was best qualified for that but the guys that were on the ship fascinating and so the the folklore goes that a lot of the crew from the from the ships of the time ended up working in theater and and 
that was part of that. Now it's interesting. <laughs> Another gaffer term is in glass blowing. If you are a glass blower and you have a team of people that is doing like a really big glass blowing project, the lead glass blower is known as the gaffer also. Wild. Somehow totally unrelated to, and I don't know what, how that came to be. And if you look it up in the dictionary, it says like something like old man in charge of a crew or something, you know? <laughs> um, and you know, I was, I was gaffing when I was in my twenties. So I don't know about the old man part, <laughs> but, uh, now, nowadays I, I guess I am the old man in charge of a crew. Um, <laughs> But I like the term and it's fun to be able to say to people, you know, what do you do for a living? I'm a gaffer. And then it kind of opens up some conversation and, you know, a way to get to know each other better and talk about what that is. And people, when they find out you work in the movie industry, are always very intrigued and want to know more. And, you know, it's, it's just a fun way to connect with people. Well, and so for the folks that are listening and, and some people, I, I got all sorts of people listening to the show. So so that they know exactly what it what it is. Uh, I've always described it. Um, like it's like you go to war when you make a movie and you have different generals and you have different commanders and everything else and you have obviously the director and then the director has his like cinematographer his production designer he has these different heads and then those have their specific heads so you work very closely and correct me if I'm wrong you work very closely with the cinematographer and with the key grip to essentially create the light of the film, right? And you're more exactly. in charge of everything that gets turned on, everything that has juice and electricity running exactly. through Exactly. It. So it's the set lighting department. Mm -hmm. Gaffer's the department head of the set lighting department. Um, I'm hired by the cinematographer. Mm -hmm. the, cinemato the cinematographer uh, needs to have a key grip, uh, uh, a gaffer, camera operator, first assistant camera. So those are the guys that really that the cinematographer hires, you know, cinematographers hired by the director usually. And so then it's my job then to assemble a team under me mm -hmm. that would carry out, you know, whether it's the rigging gaffer, there's also a rigging gaffer, which is doing everything before uh, ahead of us and behind us um, to prepare us. So when we come in on the day, we don't have to do a lot of you know, mundane things like laying a lot of cable and placing lights that are rigged up high that would be very time consuming and take away from the precious time of shooting for the day. Mm -hmm. um, bigger budgets have bigger rigging crews. Smaller budgets may have no rigging crew. We show up on a commercial a lot of times. You show up, pull up a Jenny, run out some cable, pull the lights off the truck and start start shooting. But on the bigger movies, we have a rigging crew and that's the rigging gaffer. And then he has a rigging best boy, which is his assistant. And then he has his rigging electricians. Also under that is a fixtures <laughs> foreman. Fixtures is like somebody who does like, if there's a bunch of signs that have to light up or all the little lamps on set, everything that is a practical fixture. And that, that fixtures foreman then has a crew under him. And on some like I did a Star Trek movie with J.J. Abrams some years ago. <laughs> well, the Starship Enterprise has quite a few fixtures in uh, on the bridge. And uh, that fixture crew could be 25, 30 guys working the whole time just making little light bulbs and little practical lights that will be on, on camera. It's crazy. Whole they're separate they're, they're like manufacturing those. They're manufacturing, making, working with the props department and, and the scenic department to, yeah, yeah, to actually yeah. put the lighting and the electrical into sets where it needs to be. 
And then, of course, there's the gaffer, which is on set with the cinematographer. And I have my best boy, which is like they call it a best boy. It's an old term that's been around for a long time. The best boy is not just my assistant who gets me coffee. Matter of fact, if I ask my best boy to bring me coffee, he usually gets pretty pissed off. because He's got way too many things to do. He's in charge of hiring, firing, equipment, placing generators, uh, power power uh, distribution, making sure the power is safe and that we got everything we need, communicating for me to the rigging gaffer, making sure that the logistics are going on, talking to the transportation department, making sure that the trucks and the trailers and everything show up where they need to be and that we have the specialty equipment, whether it's a condor or scissor lifts. Best Boy has an enormous responsibility. That is that is a very... Uh, understated job mm. people don't realize how important that that assistant position is it seems like you got to have like really good organizational skills and communication yeah. skills to be it's all logistics boy. yeah and not really creative at all and that kind of guy that does that uh you met morty peterson my best boy we've done i think we're up to like 22 projects You're together saying, yeah. so there's a real shorthand between us you know it's probably like you and your your ad or your cinematographer you've done a lot of things with you know you you have a shorthand you understand you know he knows how i work i know how he works and you know it's a partnership yeah yeah and you know he um you know i can't do it without any of my crew i get a lot of compliments for beautiful lighting and cinematography and you know creating all of these wonderful environments i owe it to my crew i owe it to morty and uh for organizing it i owe it to my core crew there's like four or five guys that are pretty much with me on every set it rotates because you know we come and go we go out of the country we can't take everybody they go with other crews and it rotates around but there's like a a small circle of of people that are like always show up they're the familiar faces they know how i work i know how they work and they all have their own special gifts and I know where I can put them to do certain projects and certain certain things. Today with technology, LED lights, there's a lot of like a different menu on every single light. It's not like you just go over and turn them on anymore. It's not just a light switch. It's like a menu. And we have to run that through uh, a console that, you know, we have our console programmers that are doing lighting plots. And so that when I get to a big set, I'm handed a plot and I can know where things are because they're so complex. Yeah, that's a big new industry at this point with the that's, LEDs. It's right? huge. Yeah. Oh, and my my console program, I have a few of them I work with over the years right now. It's Benoit Richard. At the same time, he's working with me on our stage set and uh-huh. even on set, just turning lights on and off. He's also right now designing the next Matchbox 20 tour. <laughs> that's the kind of stuff he does. So that's like, you know, he's like designing these big arena concert tours. Plus, he's helping me on set doing our crazy, you know, all our crazy stuff. So it's a, it's a, it's a big village. Uh, it's uh, uh, when you get into in the bigger the budget, the more complex the sets. You know, I mentioned Star Trek. You know, there was nothing more thrilling than walking onto the bridge of the Starship Enterprise mm. for the first time seeing it all lit up and oh, ready to boldly go where no one's gone before. <laughs> and that was exciting. That was very exciting. It's super cool, man. Um, yeah, no, it's great. I think this has been fantastic. And I think um, I, we could sit here and talk for, for hours, but oh, honestly, sure. I'd love to hang out and, and walk around. And, and, and you know, I did stuff. turn off my radio. I have no idea how many times they've called for me on set. <laughs> But that team I was talking about, they're covering me today so I could do this podcast with you. So I'm, I'm grateful awesome. for them to be there and, and have a team where I can step away 
and uh, and I know everything is fine on set. Awesome. And we'll man. go up there in a few minutes and I'm take totally, you guys on set. I'm totally show in. You around. So this is the part of the show where I usually ask the guests to give a little bit of advice or, or some knowledge to the younger folks. And I think um, sort of the theme has become on this show um, just sort of an awareness to the fact that uh, beyond the shit that we see on TV or beyond the stuff that we see on, on YouTube where it's like, I want to be a filmmaker, I want to be a director, I want to do that stuff. There's this entire really magical career that is um, that sort of supports this industry, which is really great. If you're somebody who's just learned on this episode what a gaffer does, if you're someone that's listening to the show and you're like, that sounds like a lot of fun, like I've always loved lighting, I've always loved this stuff, um, how would you suggest somebody cold getting into this industry like what do you think a good path for somebody to make their way in is well that question comes up a lot on instagram to me and because people are from every continent i get personal messages from Mm. enthusiasts that are like how do i how do i get in how does it how do how does that happen and um and for some it's much more difficult than others you know i get a lot of calls from people um in India, where there's a huge film industry and there's a lot of desperation. There's such a big population and so many people are just trying to survive and figure out, you know, I can't even imagine as being an American who grew up in Southern California in the film industry, what it's like to be like in a village in India that who's a film enthusiast and saying, how do I how do I get into the film? How do I get into that? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. So the, f- the first things that I usually recommend to young filmmakers or young people that just want to become filmmakers for the first time, the, one of the most important things is first off, finish your, finish your education. You got to you, Don't run away with the circus. There's no <laughs> rush. You know, the, the, we make more content now than ever in the history of ever. So there's plenty of content out there being made. There's going to be plenty to be made. That's not going away. Finish your education. It's very important. Um, as far as film school and whether you should go to film school or not, I leave that up to individuals because I didn't do film school. I f- was lucky enough to find my education in film in some very unique areas and, um, and, and you know, either jumping right into the workforce or going to film school is really a personal decision. Either way, you can make it. So, you know, it's up to you just where you want to go. If you want to get into writing and directing, sometimes it makes sense to go to some of the, sure, you know, big film schools. And, and what happens at film school is that not only do you get kind of a foundational knowledge of filmmaking, but you are with like-minded people and you develop a network and you guys will go up together and you'll be successful and you'll make it. Um, jumping into the workforce... Same thing. You're going to jump into the workforce. You're not going to start off on, you know, a huge Marvel movie. You're going to start off with an iPhone telling a story in your backyard. And you're going to do that with some other people that think that's cool. And then you guys are going to keep on networking and develop a network of people and and do bigger projects and bigger projects. And that's going to develop into your y'all have the same goals. So you're going to get there. You know, mm-hmm. if you put it out there, that's where you want to be. You're going to get there. You you put it out to the universe every day. I'm going to be a successful filmmaker. You will be a successful filmmaker and claim that as yours. I'm a filmmaker. There's nothing wrong with just saying I'm a filmmaker. Even if you're just doing it on your iPhone or whatever, just 
stake claim to it. Own it, man. <laughs> I am a filmmaker and go for it. Um, the next piece of advice, once you get past kind of that, I think, and this is important, um, you, you need to move to a production center. Um, Los Angeles obviously is a, uh, a center that has a lot of activity and you can make it. There's Atlanta, there's New York. In other countries, there's production centers in those countries. Um, move, you gotta move. If you're, if you're not in a production center, there's a limit on how far you're gonna go. Totally. And if you wanna make it, I mean, you came from Boston and you realize that there's a, there's a ceiling. You hit there's a ceiling. a ceiling, and you you are like, I got to make this move, and it's a it's a it's culture shock, and it's you know to move out of your comfortable comfortable environment is important. Being uncomfortable is in, important for growth. Something I've learned, you know, I got to take on things that are uncomfortable if I want to keep on growing, mm -hmm. and so you got to move away, and you got to go dive into it at the place where it's happening. Mm -hmm. and then meet people and put yourself out there and you know sometimes you might be starting off you work for free but you're meeting people nothing's really free you're 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 getting paid through new relationships you know now i believe that you shouldn't be taken advantage of and you should get paid i started making money doing lighting when i was 16 i also did some freebies along the way um and I never regretted that. And I never go to a low paying job or a free job with any different work ethic or attitude than when I go on the biggest paying giant studio movie. It's the same. Right. I go into it with the same enthusiasm and the same passion for my work, regardless of the size of the production. And other than that, I've always said that Making it in the movie business, or actually maybe in any business, is about as easy as getting an A in PE class. Show up, suit up, and participate. Put a smile on your face and have your intention clear. Go out there, meet people, make friends, and just make it happen. Perfect way to end the show. I really appreciate you being on the show. appreciate you having us here today. Um, and I think everybody's going to really love listening to this one. Thank you. I do want to say one more thing. Very important thing. Uh, family. We're passionate filmmakers. And I think a lot of us put family on the back burner. And I've done that in my career. And I realized that I miss out on a whole other aspect of life. Film is very exciting and it's very consuming. However, you have wife, husband, kids, um, mom, dad. Our family is a precious part of our lives. And we have to learn to balance between our work and our families. And family is precious. And I cannot express enough. As you are passionately pursuing this career that you're considering, to not forget the importance of family and make time. It is so important. You will be more successful in the end if you stand up for your personal time, for your separation from the film industry and love your family and be there for them and be present and, and focus on those things that are really important in life, like your relationships, 
and you know having a relationship in the movie industry is not always the easiest thing in the world and God i have damn, to commend yeah. my wife andrea who has stood by my side and put up with all kinds of stuff me being gone several time zones away and across oceans and uh she's amazing and she's a big part of who i am and my success and i couldn't do it without her a lot of people don't think about that it's really important uh, because this industry, we get so focused on trying to get into it. And then when you have the opportunity, because it, it never makes time for you. It always shows up at the worst time. And it's That's like, right. you need to do this now. Yeah. Like, this is your moment. You need to go. And um, sometimes it feels like that just never ends. And you Sometimes you got to just turn the phone off. Mm -hmm. You have to you know, ignore the emails for a minute. You have to allow for a, a sleep in on a Sunday with the people you care about and hang out and have breakfast and completely forget about that project you're working on <laughs> and give the people you care about most your time. They want you too. They, they love you and you love them. So don't forget that while you're pursuing this incredible career. Very important. So, after listening to this episode, what do you feel? How do you feel about gaffing? Hmm? How do you feel about working on one of these crews? It's fucking cool, right? I'm telling you, man, I met some of Mike's other crew guys, like his best boy, some of the other people that he works with, and they are so fucking pumped. They are all excited. They're all excited to be working with him. They're all excited to be on these sets. They love their fucking jobs, man. They love their fucking jobs. So... Like I said, I'm not going to try to talk you out of making that movie and directing that film, but we all need to work. We all need to make money, right? And sometimes we look at uh, other positions and we look at those credit runs as we're waiting to see what happens after whatever giant Marvel movie happens. What weird character is going to fucking show up at the end, tease us to go to see another billion dollar fucking franchise? While you sit and you watch all those credits run, how many of you sit in the audience and go, what the fuck is a gaffer? What is a gaffer? Why are there three of them up there? Why are all these people needed to make one of these movies? And does it suck to be one of those little names on that crawl? It doesn't. I'm telling you right now, it's one of the coolest things in the fucking world. It's one of the coolest lifestyles in the world. Um, and I'm happy to have had Mike on the show to explain that stuff. And man, I fucking love his point that he makes at the end there. Is such an interesting moment because if you've listened to the show, you can kind of you can kind of feel my rhythms, and I hit a point at the end where I asked the guest, you know, give us a little bit of advice for the people at the end of the show, and uh, I can kind of feel it out. And you can hear me try to basically end the show. I'm like, sounds like a good point to end, and then he's like, no, 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 man, I got something else to say, and I could feel it when he was telling me that bit about family, and he's right. For those, of us, for those of us that work in this business and have been working in this business for so long, it takes you so long to get to that point where you're finally getting those calls and then you're getting those calls and you're getting those jobs and you're worried about saying no. And you're worried if I don't go to this gig and if I don't show up on this one, then they're not going to call me back for the next. And that's a fucking valid fear, right? Because there's always someone behind you that's hungry and that wants to take that position. And if I say no this time, then the guy might not call me back. But there hits a point 
where you have to learn to, it's okay to say no, especially if you're established, especially if you have these relationships. You have to give some time to the people that support you. You have to live life in order for it to inspire you before you get back to set, right? I think that was a really important tip from him. You know, spend some time with your family because you're going to fucking regret it if you don't. You're going to regret it, man. Like, we're recording these out of sequence, but yesterday I had a great fucking day. End of the day yesterday, Lance came over and he's like, Mike, let's just go. And he took me out. We drove up north. We drove up. I'm not allowed to say the location because it's our secret little spot. But we drove all the way up north into the mountains, brought a cooler and some chairs, climbed up onto this peak or perch or whatever the fuck you want to call it, sat in our chairs, drank beers, and watched the fucking sunset. And it was awesome. It was just fucking awesome. Out in the middle of nowhere to the point where it was so quiet that it hurt. It hurt my ears because there was nothing out there. It was just so fucking relaxing. It was a great moment. A moment that I'm going to remember. And I know you're listening to the show, Lance. Big kisses, buddy. Um, And do me a favor, guys. Just don't lose sight of that. We get so focused on our goals and we're pushing and we're stomping and we're crawling over people to get there. Just don't forget that we're storytellers. And in, in, in order to earn the right to tell stories, you need to live a life with people right you need to be examining how the sun comes through the window in these awesome scenarios that you're in you need to be looking around and seeing how people talk with each other because it changes all the fucking time and i that's all i can think about when mike gave us that tip it was a good fucking tip mike so kudos to you i'm happy to have you as a brother i'm happy to have you as a friend and you bet your ass you're welcome on any of my sets man because you're a fucking good dude all right, so that's the show. Hope you guys dug it, and uh, it's been good. Been hanging out with Liam. It's great. He's doing a lot of the work on the show. He's taking a lot of the uh, a lot of the stress off of me, so I could sit here and fucking be happier. You know? Do you notice I'm a little bit happier today? Probably from those beers, those mountain beers last night. Mm. So uh, yeah. Keep listening to the show. Keep supporting us. Instagram at Mike Petchy at In Love with the Process POD. Uh, we're now a subreddit. What's the subreddit again? R slash In Love with the Process. R slash In Love with the Process. There, you can flirt with Liam. You go on there, tell him how sexy you think he looks, and uh, you know, ask some serious questions about stuff. And hey, man, if you agree, if you disagree, if you're not happy with these episodes, if you're like. You know, the show would be really great if you didn't say fuck so much. Say that. And then I I guarantee you, we're going to read it, and I'm going to come back on the next episode, and I'm going to tell you, with all the love of my heart, go fuck yourself. Okay? So, that being said, thank you guys for listening to the show, and I will see you next Tuesday.